All right, welcome everybody to episode 98 of the RF Generation Collector Cast. I am forever one of your hosts, uh, Chris and uh, AK Duke Togo, and we're going to have another fun one. We've got a lot of interesting things, I think, to talk about on this episode, uh, a little new and a little old, which you can probably guess what camp I fall into, but uh, <laughs> a couple things just to get started. Number one, uh, I always like to shout out our patrons, so A, thank you all very much. Um, actually, some of your contributions uh, came in rather handy, so we'll hear about some of that a little bit later in the show. So thank you all very much for taking the time to contribute. It means a lot to us. If you're listening to the show and you'd like to hop in on that and get into our Discord, uh, it's just patreon.com slash collectorcast. So you know, throw a buck in there, come chat with us. We love uh, having the discussions, uh, and sometimes they're silly, but that's uh, probably what you would expect from us at that point, at this point in time. Or if you love the bat chat, if you want to talk about Batman, boy, oh boy, are these <laughs> the people for you. <laughs> There's con- daily bat chat going on. <laughs> Um, outside of that, you know, the usual stuff you can find the show pretty much everywhere, all the major platforms. Um, I think these days we get a lot of our traffic from Spotify, but, um, you know, the old traditional sources are still around there as well. Unfortunately, Podcast Pickle, still, still not up and running. But having, uh, talked about our housekeeping a little bit, we usually start off as always with, um, some catching up on what things are going on. So, Bill, what's new in your life? Uh, yeah, so one extra thing I'll mention about the Discord before I get into my uh, weekly or bi-weekly catch-up is another cool thing we've started recently. We all like movies and TV shows, and we talk about some of the different uh, you know forms of media that we consume on there. So we've started a little movie club, uh, just uh, you know nothing crazy. Just we pick a movie. And, uh, you know, whoever has time to watch it, watches it. And then we, you know, kind of chat about it. Uh, I'm doing my best to pick movies that are available both in U.S. and Canada, um, you know, through various methods of, uh, you know, obtaining movies. And um, I'm trying to pick movies that I think are a little bit off the beaten path. Um, so uh, not not too, too far off, you know, but uh, but yeah. So uh, this month we're going with uh, Miami Vice the 2006 Michael Mann uh, version. Uh, love Michael Mann, love Heat. Uh, so this is the one that's been on my radar for a while, just never got around to it. And as an extra credit movie, since everyone loves the Marvel stuff, uh, we're doing uh, Doctor Strange uh, uh, and the Multiverse of Madness, which comes to Disney Plus uh, in a couple more weeks. So another fun thing to jump in uh, to the Discord if you like just watching films and want to kind of chat about them there. Um, so for me, why don't we just start off... Uh, the way we always do with a Destiny update. Um, so I mentioned that I wanted to uh, try to get into the new dungeon uh, uh, since uh, after the last show. Um, so I did get into it. It is awesome. It is got to be my favorite dungeon. Um, and all the dungeons are great, but this this really, really has to be my favorite. Um, it's got, uh, uh, I want to say a bit of a Stranger Things vibe, but that's you know maybe unfair just because Stranger Things is kind of like a relevant thing right now. It's got like a, it's called duality and it's got a dual, um, uh, you know, kind of a multiverse, you know, kind of like feel to it. So you'll be in one version of the of the dungeon and then you'll kind of shoot a specific thing and that transports your team into another version with, you know, like different, uh, you know, it's it's got like some puzzle solving mechanics that go around that different enemies, uh, different things that are vulnerable, stuff like that. Uh, all of the encounters uh, uh, utilize this mechanic. Uh, in really, really kind of cool ways, like some of the uh, some of the encounters, 
you ha- like you have to uh, like you know dunk certain symbols to make that bell active. But then you can't just shoot that bell. You have to go to a specific area and then shoot the bell, and then you flip to the other side, and now you're in an area that you couldn't have accessed unless you like shot the bell from that specific spot. Um, so it actually gave me like a little bit of uh, you know some of the old Zelda games um, that had the uh, you know like kind of like the flip side worlds, uh, the other worlds like Link to the Past and uh, Link Between Worlds. Um, but this was a really 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 fun dungeon, um, and uh, I ended up obtaining the uh, submachine gun Unforgiven. Uh, I think all my other drops were armor, uh, which is fine. They're all pinnacle drops. So I'm excited to get back in there again. And something cool that Bungie did, uh, they actually send you a little like email recap with your dungeon stats, uh, which I- I'm a big fan of because I just love data. So I'll pull this email up for you real quick so you can... Uh, so your, your dungeon memories. So it said who the fire team was. So it was me. It was... Uh, 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 sorry, uh Lord Mithras and uh, Lobo Steel, who are like some of the clan mates. It is, it gives you like the number of, like, so we had, um, you know, like a thousand final blows against enemies. We had, uh, you know, like 54 deaths between the three of us. We spent 75 minutes on the final boss. So it's, it's just kind of cool stuff to be able to kind of look back and see that stuff. So I definitely appreciate that. Um, and, uh, uh, Another thing Bungie related, um, last summer was um, uh, the season of uh, the Splicer, which is not a Bioshock thing uh, within Destiny. Uh, Splicers are a are a faction of the Fallen in uh, Destiny. And uh, the seasonal events, um, the title you got was Splicer. So this uh, activity that you got, if you like, you know, earn this title, you could get the uh, buy this hoodie. Um, a lot of times in Destiny, when you finish a thing, you're you like kind of earn the right to buy like like a T-shirt or a jacket or something like that. And I'm not into it just for the sake of buying it. I'm only really into it if the thing looks really really awesome. Uh, and this is a really 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 cool looking hoodie. Um, it's hard to describe, but uh, it just got some really cool features, and uh, I was really into it. So I ordered this like uh, sorry August 30th. I want to say. It showed up like a week ago. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So, um, and it's awesome. Um, it's a little bit on the big side. So I did email Bungie and I was like, hey, if I, cause you know, you go off their sizing chart, but the thing is they're taking these orders before the things manufactured. So these are all targets that they're aiming for. Right. So I put it on and I'm like, yeah, it's not bad. It's a little bit big. So I shot them an email. I'm like, hey, if I could exchange for a large, that'd be great. And they said, yeah, like everything is just kind of reserved for orders. Like we should have some spare, but like, you know, we, cause I guess they keep some aside in case there's damage and stuff. So I'm hoping they'll have an extra one for me to, to switch to a large since the XL is a little bit big. Um, but yeah, uh, the hoodie is awesome. Uh, wanted to give my regular steam deck update. Um, so the last time, uh, we were speaking, I think, uh, uh, was, uh, so it was a couple weeks ago. So since then, I've done a little bit of extra calculation. I've taken all of the data from April and I've get gotten an average number, all the data from May, the data from June so far. So now I've averaged it down to in April, the time between uh, uh, emails um, or sorry, the, um, the amount of time that elapsed uh, for pre-orders where you're able to order it was about uh, 1.1 minutes. In May, it was 2.1 minutes. 
in June so far, it is 4.4 minutes. So it is speeding up like, uh, uh, you know, people have said it, it, uh, it was going to. Um, at this rate, at the current rate, my order would, you know, come in late July. But all of the estimators that I've used so far are pointing to uh, early July. The latest one I've got is uh, 7-Eleven which is great because not only is it a month from today, it's my wedding anniversary. And what better oh. way to celebrate your wedding than by... I'm sure your wife will love that. Acquiring a portable PC. Exactly. That Steam, I believe, is the traditional gift for uh, however many... 11 years is Steam. <laughs> yeah, All I can Steam. tell you is there better be a piece of jewelry that <laughs> arrives on that day, too. Yep. There better be uh, some ice with this Steam. <laughs> So um, one thing I wanted to mention with Steam that I actually meant to mention last, uh, or sorry, with the Steam Deck specifically that I wanted to mention last time, uh, I don't think we mentioned this. Um, so iFixit, which is a very popular uh, website for people who enjoy fixing their own uh, I have ordered uh, stuff off things. that years ago, yeah. Yeah, they've got great T- TV parts, I think, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, they've got the, the iFixit um, repair kit. It's like the $69 repair kit is one of my favorite toolkits i've ever uh ordered anywhere um i know adam uh, our good friend bickman uses uh, ifixit stuff their guides if you don't want to use their tools their guides are amazing um so ifixit is kind of like the the gold standard in the industry for you know learning how to you know how do i open up my you know your random laptop or you know your ps2 or like whatever they've got tear down guides for all this stuff so a rumor started to circulate that all of the different components for the Steam Deck were going to be available on iFixit. And then, you know, some websites started, you know, leaking some info. And then is that real? Is that not real? Um, and then after like a little bit of uh, kind of going back and forth, it became uh, it was revealed that, yes, iFixit is carrying like legit OEM replacement parts for pretty much every single component in the Steam Deck. Which Wicked. is pr- pretty amazing. Uh, even though yeah. like Valve has come out and said, you know, listen, like we don't like we, months ago they were like, we don't recommend you open this up. Let's open this up. We want to show you what's in it. You know, this is how you do it. We're not saying you should do it, but we want to show you, you know, like what it's all about. They also mentioned that a lot of times where the screws are holding like you know, the body together, they're not screwing into like you know, like metal machine threads. It's like screwing into plastic. So by taking those out, you're reducing the structural integrity. So they're like, you really shouldn't do this. Um, but this is how it works. So um, the fact that they're selling all these parts is a little surprising because Valve Stance has been like, you know, we don't think you should do this. But I'm on the uh, iFixit slash device slash Steam Deck page right now. And when I say every component, like the buttons, the audio board, the back cover, the battery, the D-pad, the fan, the front shell, the left thumbstick, the right thumbstick, the menu button, the motherboard, uh, the right board, uh, the the right trigger, the SSD, the screen. If you want the anti-glare uh, screen uh, that comes with just the highest model, you could just buy that and put it on your 64 gig. So, so if you don't want to wait, you could just order all the parts <laughs> and build your own Steam Deck. For probably the combined cost of you know more than what they're going for on the secondary market yeah like you could almost you probably could hobble together an entire (laughs) steam deck right now if you wanted to uh sounds like a project yeah so i i just thought it was really really cool um that so for some of those reasons where that i just said where it's like you know you're not always going into machine threads the repairability score that i fix it gives the device is a seven out of ten 
because it is possible, but there's like a few caveats there where you just want to be careful about stuff. But I thought it was really, really, really cool that all of those components are, are pretty much available OEM in an official, you know, kind of, kind of method. Does um, that, does that bug you guys at all? I mean, uh, I know it's very common for consumer electronics to have self-tapping threads mm-hmm. into plastic, but I would be happy as a consumer to pay an extra $5 or something to have brass inserts for screws. I mean, no problem. <laughs> Charge me 20 bucks extra. I don't care. The ability to have it easier to deal with and long-term repairability, no problem. Right, yeah. I mean, it probably doesn't bother me as much because I haven't run into this specific issue when doing a repair or opening something. It, it's like usually a laptop, and they almost always have something that I'm screwing into, like within the chassis or like you know within the, uh, the center of the, like where the system board is. Um, but I think back to, you know, some of the early uh, iterations of the Game Boy Advance um, where they were just lacking features that became standard on later models. And I'm not talking about structural, like, you know, self-tapping screws, but, you know, backlight on the screen and, you know, just kind of like other other things that kind of became the norm. But, yeah, it's I almost wonder if this is going to be a thing that because there's going to be future versions of the Steam Deck. There's going to be the two and then, you know, like h- higher hardware models. So. I would be shocked if they didn't, you know, learn some lessons from uh, this first one and say, you know, if we're going this right to repair route, we can't have self-tapping screws going into plastic on our, you know, some of the future chassis. But yeah, it's 100% a money thing. And when you think of it in terms of one unit, it's like, yeah, you know, like, why didn't they spend the extra number of pennies or amount of dimes, you know, to make this change? But, you know, somebody upstairs is looking at it like, well, you know, each batch of 10,000, like that's going to be X dollars. And it's like, you know, if you, if you were to pass that cost on to the consumer and say, listen, we made it five, not five Oh nine instead of four ninety nine, but we did this. I don't think anybody's complaining. Pass that. Cost no, I think on, you'd get you more. Yeah. I think you'd get the opposite. I think yep. you'd be like, look how pro consumer this is. Yeah. Right. They're this, we should corners. champion this. Yeah. Th- Absolutely. Just that whole talk Bill just had reminds me of, uh, I was listening to a podcast about the U-Force a few months ago, and apparently the prototype was, like, blowing everyone's mind, and then they were just like, we can't afford these sensors, like, there's some <laughs> cheap ones to put in there, and that's the one we ended up getting at retail. Oh. Yeah, that's not surprising. I mean, that's it, right? When you put bean counters in the room, because it's, I'm going to get off on a tangent, and I'm not going to spend much time here, right? But I was watching a repair video about... Um, it was a, it's a radio. It was a radio. It was from, you know, probably like the 1930s. And this, things at that point in time were always built to be serviceable yeah. and self-servable. This one was so well-crafted and built that even when you took the chassis out of it, they included the tool to do the adjustments <laughs> and everything built into the chassis where it, like a little, with a little holder. Like that's how pro-consumer it was. And we've moved so far into this philosophy of get it done as cheaply as humanly possible that quality just doesn't even exist anymore. And it's, I don't know, I find it frustrating that, and that's, it's going to be sad because we're going to have products that are a hundred years ago that will outlast products that were made five years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's frustrating for sure. 
So, um, so moving on from the Steam Deck and uh, being able to make one for a grand if you really want to, um, there was a pretty exciting uh, retro video game vinyl release that happened yesterday. Uh, so for the first time available on uh, vinyl, Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. Um, so this is not one that I was really expecting. I mean, Enjoy the Ride Records has done Mortal Kombat 1 and 2 before, so I guess it makes sense that they would eventually uh, uh, do Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. Um, so this was available in several vari uh, variants, um, solid colors, as well as a picture disc, um, which normally I'm not a big fan of picture discs, but this one is really, really, really cool looking. And as far as audio quality goes, uh, most of the talk that I saw on the VGM vinyl subreddit was kind of a on, on that same opinion of like, you know, it's... It's an arcade game soundtrack, you know. I don't think we're <laughs> we're talking something that you're gonna really, really, you know, hear a big difference uh, on using a picture disc. So if you want the picture disc, go for it. Um, but yeah, there were several uh, different uh, color variations, uh, which was kind of cool. And I just I gotta give Enjoy the Ride Records a lot of credit. I ended up emailing them uh, a few days before, just kind of asking them some questions about the release. They emailed me back right away, which is not common on some of these uh, vinyl pressing uh, places like I don't want to name names specifically but uh, there's been a few that like are just very difficult to get any kind of uh, response from but a joy came right back at me and then the next day I was like oh like on Friday I was like let me log in on their website and make sure I'm logged in my address is in there my payment info's in there just being like a smart you know purchaser because uh, I've missed out on stuff on Mondo before because you know you weren't like quick on the draw so I pinged them and same thing got right back to me. They helped me like get the account set up and uh, they even they were doing like social media stuff like earlier that day. They were like, it's going to be a really busy day for us. But, you know, just like make sure you don't go over the order limit. We are reviewing. If you make separate orders going over the limit, we're going to cancel all your orders. So they were just on top of things. Uh, and they um, they put a little thing on their website and on their socials that because a lot of people, uh, vinyl collectors worry about uh, seam splits which is basically where the record because it's it's you know it's pressured inside that jacket can can split uh, where that jacket is closed on the top or bottom or even worse the spine so they said in their socials if you would prefer for us to ship your record like protected in an anti-static sleeve but outside of the jacket we will do that for no additional cost just Whoa. leave a note in your order or send us an email with the order number like we'll do it wow. so I made an order. I ended up getting a couple of the Mortal Kombat. Oh, and, and the other thing they did was they were also repressing Mortal Kombat 1 and 2, which they hadn't pressed in a long time. So you were able to get Mortal Kombat 1, 2, and Ultimate 3 kind of all in one shot. The, the MK1 and 2 record was 25 bucks. Mortal Kombat 3, 25 bucks. So these are reasonable. They're really cool looking variants. I ended up getting the, uh, the Mortal Kombat 1 and 2 in like the black and orange uh, variant. So uh, previously I had the picture disc. So this is a really, really cool uh, variant. I also bought the MK2 color variant, like the black and like the like this kind of bluish purple, really cool. And for Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, I bought two because I wasn't sure which one uh, that I really want. Um, so I'm going to look at them both and kind of decide, and the other one I'll bring to Retro World and you know pass the savings on to someone else. And uh, But another thing I got to shout out how awesome is, and, and Engineer Mike uh, uh, in the Discord uh recognize them for this as well when the record when the sale went live at noon they have this little kind of reverse progress bar on the site 
that shows the stock level of each variant. And then as you kind of you know, go in and choose one, like you can see this, the various you know, stock levels dropping. I thought that was that's an absolutely amazing thing to show people if they're, you know, on the fence or like, oh, like, I don't like I don't want to miss it. You can look at it and be like, oh, you know, it's been on sale for, you know, like 10 minutes. Like, you know, that one hasn't moved at all. So I've got some time. I don't have to be stressed or the opposite. You're like, oh, wait a minute. The one that I was thinking about maybe getting is already half gone. Like if I'm going to do it, I got to do it now. So that was really, really cool. Um, it's another thing that's really cool is having enough that everyone who wants to get one can get one. So here we are a day later. You can still buy the MK1 and 2 in either color. They're very, very, very low stock on the orange and black color, but you can still get it. Ultimate MK2, two of the four have sold out. Two of them are still available. You can still get them, which is also awesome. Uh, so, yeah. And then the last thing I want to shout out is this is kind of something that I forgot about. Like, I know I read it somewhere, but when they announced this really just last week, they were like, oh, by the way, like these are in hand. So this isn't like a pre-order that's going to be happening later. They're like, these are in hand. And I, I knew that, but I kind of forgot. So something amazing happened today. I got an email <laughs> with a tracking number <laughs> for these records. Wow. Like, what? Wait right after you ordered? I that's, found yeah. out about something. I ordered it. And they shipped it? What kind of crazy world are we living in where this happens? So, yeah, this has just been an awesome experience all the way around. So... I hope that more, um, and I know not everyone has, you know, the, the logistics, the funding, you know, the resources to take everything in, like, like put up their cash up front and then, you know, kind of get it back once you start selling. But it's such a great thing to not have to pay all this money and then wait like a year and a half or whatever for a limited run or for an IM8 bid or for some of these guys that just take the money and then it just goes in the queue. Right. So just can't, can't say enough good things about this uh, experience. So just wanted to share that here. So um, does the does the record have everyone's like grunting, running, yell sounds? On <laughs> so it? I will tell you the the, <laughs> the, the MK one and two uh, soundtrack. So the first side is you know it's all music. The second side also music, and then like the last segment of the uh, of the record is kind of like the sound test when if you would like go into it. So it is like uh, uh, boom. Ding. So you do get like every every sound That's, effect. All I remember from like MK3 in the arcades is just that run sound oh. that everybody's just yeah. <laughs> like yeah, all I was, over I was a big, and over. Yeah, I was a big fan of uh, Cabal's uh, dash, yeah. and then you Cabal's had to run great. back over to start your you know to start your combo up. So uh, I will tell you, like listeners and you guys too, if you want something fun to go look at, I don't know YouTube rabbit hole how I fell into it the other day. But there, uh, you guys remember Ultimate Mortal, uh, no, Mortal Kombat Trilogy, right? Yes, for the Dreamcast, right? Yeah, and N64. And I don't oh, know you're right. Else. Yeah, it was on 64, yep. But there are these TAS runs on, on this, and they are hilarious to watch because <laughs> you don't realize, like, how... Oh, the tool assisted? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't understand how jank some of this stuff can get. Mm. And it's like what the computer is able to pull off move-wise is incredible. Uh, I mean, there's like, it's doing babalities into fatalities into, mm. I mean, like, it's crazy what's in there. And they're just, I've just kept like laugh out loud seriously yeah. like all the goofy stuff that it kept pulling off was wonderful and i think when i said dreamcast i was thinking of mk gold 
Uh, oh yeah, not yeah. not trilogy. Right? Yes, yeah, so a trilogy. Uh, I remember P- uh, N64 and maybe PS1. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah. yeah, and it's just oh man, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Go watch. You're just like, oh my gosh, this is so broken. I'll so check funny. Out some of the uh, some of the tool assists that I like those. Um, yeah. So yeah. So after uh, uh, so now that I've got some records on the way, that's pretty cool. I just wanted to mention we got some bootleg T-shirts coming in for the entire uh, Collector Cast crew. Uh, oh. This is something that I wanted to kind of keep. Us, I like surprises. I like to you know try to you know do nice things for people whenever I can. But the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, I tried to surprise our buddy Rich with a record. And then he ended up just ordering it for himself. So I was like, maybe I should tell these guys that I'm ordering shirts. So so Chris and Kelsey both have some Final Fantasy VI uh, bootleg T-shirts coming from uh, a really, really cool T-shirt bootlegger. If you go on Instagram, um, it's windscene. So that's wind underscore scene dot BMP. Uh, and I ordered those. And also one of my favorite personal favorite films of all time is Leon. Uh, also known as the Professional, with Luke, with uh, uh, Jean Renault and Natalie Portman. So he's also got a uh, Leon T-shirt that I ordered for myself. So those are uh, uh, they. They still need to be produced. So they're probably like a month out. But that'll be awesome to get to Chris uh, one of his favorite games uh, that can adorn his lovely physical form. Thank and- you, because I yeah, it's it's a beautiful shirt. Uh, yeah. So that that white shirt's beautiful. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and and I I pinged Kelsey and I was like. Kelsey, what 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 size? Like no no spoilers, but what size are you? <laughs> I'm glad cause I don't do any Instagramming, so I don't uh, I don't know any of that stuff. Yeah, no, and and I think I mentioned before, but uh, a a buddy who I met through Retro World Expo was wearing one of Espionage VR's uh, Sniper Wolf hoodies at the show last year, and I was like, where did you get that? And that's how I got on Espionage, and I found Windscene through it because like. A lot of these bootleggers, like, they know each other, right? And they all kind of share each other's (laughs) stuff. So I kind of found them through each other. And, man, there's a whole world of bootleg uh, uh, clothing that I've become aware of in the last year. So it's kind of a cool (laughs) scene. And there's, I'm not an anime guy, but, man, is there a lot of anime out there. Because there's a a ton of anime. There's a ton of anime fans. And there's no shortage of, uh, you know, designs that people want that, you know, only so many of them can be produced legitimately. So... So yeah, so happy to have some uh, awesome gaming t-shirts coming in for the crew here. Um, wanted to mention uh, real quick, not to get too much into Stranger Things, maybe we'll do some spoiler casty stuff at some point. Um, the The show has kind of been up and down for me. Like there's been some hits, there's been, there's been some misses, there's been some characters that I'm like, what are they doing with these guys? Uh, but I did want to say that one of the recent episodes of Stranger Things uh, season four had one of my favorite scenes in television history that had me shook and had me thinking about it for days. Um, so uh, I, I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but uh, so you know, I wasn't it's, really planning it, on it. It was just worth it. mentioning that it was just one but of these that... scenes where the music, the visuals, the emotion. Like I, I wasn't planning on watching it, but with, when, when you hear that, like maybe I got to check this out now. Yeah, and, and I remember seeing or hearing you say somewhere that, like, you know, you were thinking about it, and then it's like, oh, like, I'm not really interested. And, like, I was kind of in the same boat. I was like, oh, it's back. I don't need to watch it day one type deal. And then we kind of, you know, finished up some stuff we were we were kind of looking at and, and watching. I was like, all right, you know, let's, let's start it. And 
you know, it's 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 been around for a little bit. The, like the story's kind of gone back and forth, and they've kind of separate. Like the 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 gang is kind of like they're all friends, but like some of them, like their lives are just going different directions. Some of them, spoiler alert, are not in the town that we know them to be in at the beginning of the show, and then like so there's some other things happening. Uh, but man, I'm telling you, like the the way that they did this scene was so was such an emotional roller coaster for me, and where. You know, you don't think they're going to do so. There's, there's no way they're going to do this. And then you start realizing they're going to do this. And just the music that's there and like the the I, I can't get spoilery on it. But honestly, like for days, like I was like talking to my wife on the phone at work and I was like, I'm still thinking about that scene. <laughs> it was so good. So and, you know, unfortunately, there hasn't like since that scene, there hasn't been that same impact, um, you know, like an episode and a half later. And, and also, this is another one of those instances, kind of like Better Call Saul, where they're like, OK, the first part of the season is now and there's going to be a little bit of a break. And then like the second part of the season is going to be, you know, in a little bit. Uh, but it's not like Better Call Saul, where I think it's like half now and half later. I think it's like 85 percent now. And then like the last like 15 percent is like two extended episodes in July ish. Um, but yeah, just wanted to mention that Stranger Things four, oof, it hit me hard. That especially that that one episode. Um, I don't want to talk too too much about the latest Obi Wan episode. Um, it is a lot different than the other episodes. Uh, in a better way for me. I know a lot of people like still aren't hot on it, but it like to me the latest episode that I watched with my wife was like more something that you know I was just kind of like along for like this very Star Warsy type ride. And the end of the show didn't have really like like an M. Night Shyamalan twist, but it was like something that was said. And then they showed you something where I was like, oh, that's what they're doing, you know. So like it, it, it seemed clever enough for me where I was like, OK, well, I, I can do this. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, now that we're far enough into it where you kind of see where it's going, it's definitely not, you know, kind of where I thought it would be going. It's it's really taking its time and doing whatever it's doing. So we'll maybe talk more about that again uh, after we've seen a, a few more of those. And uh, as uh, Chris mentioned before, uh, hopefully everyone is enjoying the uh, updated quality of my uh, audio. The, uh, the microphone that I obtained uh, through uh, means outside of the podcast uh, is a very, very nice microphone that I learned cannot really spread its wings on its own. Uh, it's a very, very low output, so you need, uh, you know, a microphone uh, activator to really give it a little bit of extra boost to, to get a usable signal. So is this the first time we've spent Patreon? For, man, yeah. So we, I've, yes. I've, I've, I've especially been a little gun shy. Like, I don't want to take funds that the patrons are sending in and just, you know, buy myself a copy of a game or, you know, something that I was going to get anyway. I really want to make sure that it is something that goes towards the show. So... At first, I was afraid because all the microphone activator adapters I was looking at were like $150. And I was like, no, there has to be something else. So I pinged my Sweetwater rep and they were like, oh, no, like the, there's a couple of good options. Here's a few more. So grabbed this handy little microphone adapter and slapped it on. And I think it sounds pretty good. So I want to thank everyone who contributes to the show. And maybe now that we've kind of broken the uh, seal on the uh, spending cash, maybe we'll uh, see if we can... Uh, do a few more things in the future but yeah definitely big thanks to uh everyone who contributes and we appreciate you very much yeah awesome that's um uh, and and just so folks know bill did his research and he really did come up with something that was very affordable 
compared to the high-end stuff. So he sounds great. The cost was uh, really in line. So um, it made really good sense to, to put the dollars to make that happen. So we hope you all enjoy the dulcet tones <laughs> of Bill McGee uh, on the podcast. And uh, and moving up to the, uh, I don't know, still using a rock band, Mike, Kelsey? I don't know. Uh, what about what about on your side? Still dulcet. Look at the Blue Yeti. <laughs> I upgraded okay. a few years back. Um, What's going on in Canada? Just still playing a lot of Hades. I've been really sucked into that again. And I'm finally getting to the point where there's not a lot of new content. Uh, but like I'm on, I think 190 something runs and I'm just now running out of like new story and stuff like to do. Oh, uh, I'm, of... I'm sorry. You said Hades. I thought you said eighties. Like you were playing guitar hero, rock the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of in hair metal. Head, in my head, I'm always playing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, uh, like I'll, I'll have half an hour, so I'll sit down and, it has the six weapons and it like gives you a bonus. If you pick one you haven't used in a while. So mm-hmm. I just let that pick my next run and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a uh, spear run this time. And I haven't tried it with, you know, Athena yet. And I'll just, uh, I'm just goofing around and, and playing through it. I'm getting to the point where I found out after the 20 heats, um, you don't get the bonuses anymore. Mm. Uh, so I've maxed out my bow and I've got a couple other like the sword and the gun I almost have maxed out at 22 so I'm just trying to like get them all maxed to the 20 I think and then that'll be my like I'm, I'm happy with this I'll put it down kind of thing um, I also finished Dragon Quest 9 and I'd be it, curious to hear what you think here it's a weird Dragon Quest game it is the weirdest one i think like it almost doesn't feel like a dragon quest game in a lot of ways it feels like a spin-off or like some other company like trying their best to do a dragon quest clone kind of feeling to it because mm. like the you don't have a cast like at all like you your whole team is just mercenaries that you hire and you choose which ones you want uh so they have no personality or character to them which stinks like they they did do that like way back in three four something like that uh but then they kind of dropped that and haven't done it since and it was weird to have it back the whole story was poorly told like you you start off and it's kind of interesting and then you just do side questing stuff for 20 hours until they pick it up again like Mm. it's really seems like an afterthought um the whole perspective is weird too like the the camera is come like from the south looking north and you can like slightly angle it in like a cone but you can never look down and so like all the maps are built with that in mind so you're always like traveling north pretty much there's a few spots where you go south but like you can't see in front of you so there's nothing you don't have to worry about traps or anything like that like it's really basic Mm. um there's a bunch of wi-fi stuff that's obviously and dlc stuff that's like not even active anymore that's what I was going to ask. Do you feel like you missed out on a lot of stuff? Because there was basically that was like the genesis of Street Pass before Street Pass was a thing. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you missed out on a lot since you don't have access to that? Like I talked to the, the guy in the bar that explains what's going on there. And it didn't sound interesting. Like it's probably something I would have not ignored anyway. 
It's so, like treasure maps and things that yeah, you get. Yeah, and there are some maps. Like I got one in the game, and I was doing the map. It's like a random dungeon. Get to the boss, and, and I did the map like pretty shortly after I got it, and the, the dungeon was fine. It didn't uh, cause much difficulty. But then I got to the boss, and he just like steamrolled me. Mm. And I was like, okay, what am I missing here? And I, I had to come up back 15 levels higher to finish <laughs> that boss. And I'm like, okay, I'm not ever doing that again. Like these dungeons are not worth the time for what you get for them. Um, they, they really push into the alchemy and crafting stuff too, which is not yeah, something I'm that. a big fan of. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, okay, the job systems in Dragon Quest in general are clunky. They're, they're yeah, at the best of times, they're manageable. They're not amazing and i feel like seven was really bad for the job system eight just scrapped it It was like you don't need it anymore all your characters have five classes that you can put your points into choose which ones you want to do that was great nine leaned really hard into jobs again and implemented them worse than i've ever seen in any dragon quest game so I ignored them. I did not change my job the entire game, and I just powered <laughs> through with the beginning jobs, and I didn't need to change them. And some of yeah. them, like like a sage, is a very important job in every Dragon Quest since they've introduced jobs. Sage, you don't unlock in this game until the final dungeon. So you you have to play up to the final dungeon to get it. You have to do this ridiculous quest to gain access to it, and then you'd have to start leveling up your character to even be a sage to like do the last fight. Like it just did not seem worth the effort at all. It seemed to me that, you know, f- for JRPG terms that we would relate to, the first Final Fantasy really pioneered the job system, uh, obviously, and mm-hmm. refined on it in the third game uh, and on, and really kind of became like, the bastion of that type of system until it has gone into whatever weird directions and now it seems to have dumped squares dumped that into bravely series which i'm fine with that mm-hmm. um but now that square you know for a long time now that square and enix are together it almost makes me feel like dragon quest shouldn't try to go that route like there's another they, they square already has a series that's good at that why are, why do they try to keep shoehorning it back into dragon quest yeah, I don't know, like 8, I thought was great without it. And, you know, 5 and 6 made it work, but it wasn't a highlight of the games of either of those. 7, you know, and 9 are both suck at it. Yeah. I get it when they were separate, right? When it was Enix and Square competing. That made sense, right? To riff on those things and try to one-up each other or whatever. But now... I don't see how it makes any sense. Mm. No, it it just seems like one of those vestiges they don't want to get rid of, kind of like how high scores lasted way longer than they needed to and everything. Uh, it's just like all trade Abbey is a part of Dragon Quest lore, so they feel like it has to be in the game to be a Dragon Quest game, even though it's, in my opinion, one of the weaker parts of the series. Yeah, just be interesting. I, I think I would be fine with them kind of targeting certain series to certain flavors, right? I mean... Totally. I love that I know when a Bravely game comes out, this is the kind of system it's going to have, and I like that, and I'm just going to buy that game, right? Um, and I'm fine with that. And like Now I've learned that I, I hate whatever 
Final Fantasy systems are these days, so I'm just not <laughs> going to buy that. And, you know, other people like them. I'm not trying to trash the series. I'm just saying I know I don't, right? And I'm cool with that. Totally agree. Um, I've also picked up Dragon Quest Heroes again with my buddy that I've been playing through that with. Mm. We've cleaned up all the side questing in that game, so I think we'll probably finish it off uh, tomorrow. Um, my son is a big Castle Crashers fan, and I've, I've tried it a few times, and I really I bounce off it, and I, I've never heard anything but great, great praise for this game. And I really, really want to like it, and I just don't. <laughs> uh, but he convinced me again. And, and so I was like, okay, invite your friend over. We'll have your sister down. There'll be four of us. We'll, we'll do it like full multiplayer and see how it goes. And we played for a couple hours and the kids had a blast. I hate it. It's not <laughs> a fun game for me. And I don't really understand the appeal. Have you ever tried to play Guardian Heroes with him? Uh, not with him, no. I haven't. I wonder if he'd be into that or if it'd be too... We not open enough for him. We played that like, today. Yeah. Like I walked into my bedroom and Cameron's in there just playing Castle Crashers, and he, he's like, "He's like, Daddy, I'm playing on your file because I ran out of screen time." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Well, at Smart. least you're leveling up my orange knight." <laughs> yeah, him and his friend have that down to a science. Though it was it was interesting to watch them play, and and they've got little in jokes and stuff. Like they know which owl's gonna you know poop when the monster comes out so they go high they fight over who gets to hide in the bush and get pooped on and, <laughs> yeah um yeah uh piku niku arrived and i've been playing that with my daughter on a recommendation from from your children mm-hmm. and i how do i say this um you guys suck for what you've done to me <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad we, we've ruined your life we we finished the adventure mode. She she it was fine. Like she thought it was okay. There was a couple of chuckles. That really was not the draw anyway. We wanted the co-op. So when I'm reading the uh, description of how the co-op works, it's it's it says in all the the online stuff that that Devolver put out and on the back of the case and everything, it's like custom multiplayer levels. And to me, that means you can make your own multiplayer levels. That's what custom means. But it's just nine multiplayer levels. That's it. And they're like yeah. five-minute levels. I don't know why the word custom is on there because nothing is custom about them. They're just... That's like calling... Look, you can wear hats and sunglasses. <laughs> Not in the co-op. And... Only in the adventure mode can you do that stuff. <laughs> but that would be oh, like okay. calling uh, like Bioshock like a custom adventure because like, they made it for you. It doesn't make sense in the way they're using it. Are you guys having fun yes she laughs so hard playing it but here, here's here's the catch here's the whole the whole reason I, I said that first part she only likes the race car levels so i have played <laughs> oh! the race car levels 10 million times awesome. in the last week and nothing else and i'm sick of it but she just loves it she laughs so hard the whole time kids love that game i don't know why they like like the, the kids will call me in they're like oh we need you to do like the dance uh we need you to do the dance <laughs> I got, yeah so they have, I have to come to in and play the dance and it's like 100 percent. they're like oh you got 100 <laughs> percent. like yeah buddy and then um uh th- like they know the names of all the songs like they're like you play pico nico on spotify what do you want to hear free money 
uh that just, <laughs> they're they're so good like but yeah it's it's isn't it crazy how like certain stuff resonates with certain kids but like this one seems to be one that like every one of my kids friends who has played this they just see it and they're like oh you have pikuniku too so yeah it's crazy <laughs> And yeah, then like, the, the daddy, daddy, look, El Bunko. <laughs> <laughs> my my daughter is not at that reading level yet, so I'm trying to narrate it and make it mm. fun when we're doing the adventure <laughs> and uh, doing my best. Get, we had a get really tell her night. all the spider complaints every time I get scared. Oh, man, so, yeah. Yeah, and, and some of the... Um, uh, like some of the dialogue, like especially like like that pre final boss fight, like is pretty funny. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh it's it's a trip and like and they're they're super into it. And sometimes the things that frustrate me about a game are what they love about it. Like it playing something like New Super Mario Brothers where like you're all kind of fighting for position and then like you get you know bounced off someone and then you fall in a pit it's like i'm frustrated and they're just laughing their heads off so <laughs> when they're like kind of connected and they're zooming around and they're going up and around things they'll try like 10 15 times and they'll fail and it, like to me like that would really frustrate me like okay slow down like we can do this and they're just laughing their heads off like playing this thing so yeah super into it yeah or we'll try to jinx each other i right? like try to mess each yeah. other up and mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, the, me and my son and my daughter sat down to play for a bit before dinner yesterday, and she beat, like, legitimately, like, we were both trying, and she beat both of us at the race car stage, mm-hmm. um, and then she made us play against each other, and just listening to her cackle the whole time <laughs> while we were flipping upside down and missing boosts and crashing into each other, was, it was pretty funny. Was That's pretty the best. Weird. Getting pretty good about kicking the, the basketball around and no, doing all don't. that? No, she doesn't like that one. I don't really care oh, that one either. She, okay. she likes to find the nets in the adventure game and like kick acorns into them. But yeah, competitively, no interest. Um, you guys find all the secrets and everything already? We just finished the story yesterday, so we've just started to go back and see if we can find some other stuff now. We like It's just trophies and things. The trophies yeah. are exciting. The little dancing yeah, bugs, I think, are funny. My daughter doesn't understand why they're funny, so she doesn't care about those. Yeah. Uh, she likes the costumes. That's her big thing. Yeah, and I think the um, like the trophies are like they're missable. So like there was times where my kids were like, "We're gonna start the game over again," and I'm like, "You're gonna lose all your progress." And they're like, "Yeah, well, I can't get this trophy." I'm like, oh, "Okay, well, I mean, as long as you're cool, I mean, it's a short game, but like as long yeah. as you're cool with it, you know." If you know what you're doing, it's probably one to two hours. Yeah. The first playthrough, I think, maybe took us four to five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a fun little game, right? Yeah. So what's cute. what's next after this then? Are you gonna take uh, another one out of our our tip bag, or are you going uh, somewhere else? Uh, I don't know. I might uh, I might go somewhere else <laughs> after the ten thousandth race car drive. <laughs> I tell you, human fall flat. I'm trying to tell you. I think she would like that too. Yeah, and Goat Simulator too. You guys were talking about. I think she. Yeah, like I'm just like well. human fall flat is pure yeah. co-op crazy. And, and so that appeals to me too. And, and since that last recommendation, Goat Simulator Three has been announced. That's true. That's true. Which is essentially just like kids were like, "Why can't we play Grand Theft Auto?" Okay, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> this is the whole game, <laughs> but dumber. <laughs> it's uh, like I said, this is the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's been my gaming though uh, but I did watch a couple things I wanted to talk about 
Uh, you, first... you, you skipped it. Wait, you skipped over a game in there. What did I skip over? I didn't skip over anything. You didn't talk about Dragon Quest Heroes. Yeah, I did. I said I'd pick that up again with my friend. We finished up the side questing. We'll probably beat it tomorrow. Oh, I get me. I just didn't hear that part. Sorry. No worries. Um, so I got an email saying, like, you've just started your Paramount Plus uh, free trial. And I was like, what? I did? <laughs> and then so I texted my wife, and she's like, yeah. She's like, your daughter wanted to watch the Paw Patrol movie, and I saw it was on there. They had a free trial. So, so I was like, oh. So are you, you going to watch Strange New Worlds? So the first thing I did was search <laughs> Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And guess what, Chris? Not in Canada. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, it's in Cra- it's on Crave with an HBO subscription in Canada. So it has everything else you could possibly imagine Star Trek except for that one. So instead that of that, crazy. I started watching The Orville to get my my little Star Trek itch. Which I don't know if you've seen that one, Chris. Have you seen any Orville? I've heard I should like it. I've not tried it. It very you can tell they love next generation like there's a lot of tropes and characters that are just straight up copies of things from there it it's at times really great and you really get that feeling and then at other times you're like man seth mcfarland like just stop making pop culture references for two minutes like i need to just be in the star trek world and i don't need to hear about seinfeld for a minute that that's my worry about anything Seth MacFarlane does, and why I haven't watched it. Because I'm like, that's why I want to like how much Seth MacFarlane being Seth MacFarlane is there in there, right? Because that doesn't belong in that kind of show to me. No, and it's really jarring, and it does happen in every episode. But if you can get past that, there is a lot of good stuff to it too. Uh, like today, I was watching one, and there's a character who's basically Worf uh, from Next Generation. And they find out that his species can basically eat anything. And then so they're just going to the replicator and he's like, replicate a cactus. Can you eat this? Eat my weapon. Like, eat a cup. <laughs> like, it's really funny because they're just like testing his boundaries. right? <laughs> okay. So there are moments that are genuinely funny that make sense in that world. And then there's ones where they're like making real housewives jokes. And you're like, oh, this is, this is dumb. <laughs> yeah, like, why would they do this in the future? exactly they're like i think 400 years in the future and and they're still referencing just the 80s and 90s and that's it right that would be like man uh, me telling you all the the great you know 1680s puns right Right? i I know it's like what doesn't make much sense yeah so like remember that time when uh, bohab was you know (laughs) he was strung up remember that guys (laughs) Yeah, every episode has that kind of stuff, and it's annoying. But the rest of the stuff is is pretty solid. So I'd say it's 50-50, like, enjoyable and frustrating. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. Try an episode. I think you'll know right away if you maybe can if I run it. out of other stuff, maybe I'll yeah. give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, but more interestingly, I finally watched The Professional, not Bill's one, mm. Chris's one. The Golgo 13 uh, anime from the 80s and i didn't know much about it um it was interesting that they ca- they like called it and we watched some of the, like my friend that uh, watched it with he bought it on blu-ray so it had all the extras so we're watching some of the extras after and all the advertisements for it were calling it a computer anime and this came out in 1983 and they were really pushing the cg elements of it which they went 
they're not heavily used, but when they are used, like they actually cut back and forth between like a CG city with helicopters into like the action, like back and forth, uh, which was kind of crazy that it happened that early in the eighties. Like it looked like maybe like a 3DO game kind of graphics wise. Uh, Because it's like that last Starfighter kind of era where CG was just really a thing for the first time. Yeah. So they leaned into that, into the marketing. Um, Man, that that show was wild though. Like it doesn't have a normal movie structure either where like, it's like, here's the guy, introduce you, here's the mission, completes the mission. Like every time you think he's done the mission, there's like, 10 other guys trying to kill him and he's got to go do this other mission now. And here's another sex scene. And like, it was mm-hmm. like, that's, that's pretty much yeah. every, every one of those. Yep. You yeah. Nailed it. That's the format. So it was neat watching it only having the games as a reference. And man, those are pretty faithful. Like, cause like to the, to the tone, not to the story. Uh, cause he can do everything in the games. Like he kills a million guys just like in the games he can do close combat. He can do short range guns. He can do snipers. He can do sex stuff. <laughs> he's, he, yeah, he's like the ultimate assassin, the man with the custom M16. Um, which is funny because, like, when you see like the ones that deal with like him getting the gun, it's almost like you know how in Japanese things, like when they'll have like that sword crafts like you know like the sword right. crafts and it makes the sword you know it kind of reminds me of that um sure. I can see that. and um yeah and like all the crazy sex scenes he's in like the woman is going you know crazy of course and, and he's, you, he's just there with this like flat face mm-hmm. like no smile no changing no nothing just He's literally laying on his back, and they don't animate him. He, he stands there dead still, like a corpse. The woman does all the, the work. Going he's crazy. He's just there, and yes. she's just happy to be there with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah. You've nailed the format. It's just um, and every single person who was an ally to him in that movie died gruesomely. Nobody lived that wasn't him. That was yeah, like a much. protagonist. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it. They're all going to betray him or whatever. I mean, like, yeah. every woman he sleeps with eventually gets killed. Or she shoots him or whatever. Because yeah, yeah. they turn on him. They always or turn both. on him, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's very, you know, um, Cold War, James Bond, um, you know, power fe- power trip kind of thing. It's, yeah. uh, it's of its time. I dig it for what it is. <laughs> there know. was a cool twist at the end too, where like uh, you're you're trying to figure out who paid him to do this contract near the start of the movie, and uh, it, uh, I I didn't see it coming at the end. I was trying to figure it out, and I didn't figure it out. I thought it was kind of neat. Yeah, you should check out some of the other ones. There, yeah. I mean, if you enjoyed that one, you'll enjoy the others as well. They're this, all pretty similar. This buddy's got a pretty extensive anime collection, and it's like nothing past the 90 like mid 90s like he just likes the old stuff yeah so every once in a while he'll pull out something like that and we'll check it out yeah so there's one i can't remember the title but it's got queen bee i think in the title um i mean like there was some series that made their way over here they've tried in kind of fits and starts to get it to catch you know obviously it's not become like it is in japan but um yeah no, I, I just dig it for what it is I, yeah, if I was 
like 15 again like when i was discovering like ghost in the shell and ninja scroll and all this stuff i would have loved this movie I, and i liked it now too but man it really would have influenced me i think as a young person yeah i think when i first saw it i was i don't know 20 or somewhere around there you know yeah wild stuff yeah um yeah that's all i've been uh playing and watching recently though uh other oh sorry other than the summer game fest the keelys <laughs> yeah which i don't think either of you guys uh checked out and i don't blame you <laughs> <laughs> tell us about the summer of dead space this was the most boring gaming conference I've ever seen in my life, ever. Like, not even close to anything else. Like, I I don't normally check out of shows, and I checked out so often during this one. I started it about 20, 25 minutes late, which I thought, awesome. When they show, like, Call of Duty or something, I can buffer through that. I can just skip. I was caught up instantly. Like, there, this whole show was just boring. Um like there was a lot of jokes about how it it was all sci-fi horror and like it's not an exaggeration like it it opened with alien which i thought was the dead space uh, remake at first and then as oh no no this is alien okay cool next game callisto protocol also looks like dead space remake wasn't the dead space remake (laughs) and then like they did one game in between that and they did one called Fort Solace. I'm like, okay, this one's the dead space remake. No, it's another sci-fi dark horror game. Okay. Next game. Really? Now the dead space one. Nope. <laughs> it's a game called routine, which is identical. And and then there's another, I think it's called like layers of fear or something. And I swear to God, if you saw screenshots of these five games and, and throw dead space in there too like next to each other like you're a liar if you can get all of them right like nobody can wow. do that <laughs> they all look so similar and they were literally back to back some of these trailers during the, the show which just seemed like they should have spaced them out a little bit even keely during the show made a comment about like wow that's a lot of like sci-fi horror ha 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 it was exhausting and then after all that, they played like a 20-minute demo of the new Call of Duty, which looked like every other Call of Duty. Um, there was really nothing in the show. Like the big reveal was supposed to be this Last of Us remake at the end of the show. They closed the show with a Last of Us remake, a game that's already been remastered, a game that's not that old, a game that's still available to purchase in stores, is getting rebuilt ground up, and like... I'm saying all these things like they're bad things. I think games should always be available. Like, it's a cool game. People that own a PS5 only should be able to play this cool game. I'm glad they're doing it. But to end your show as the major announcement and spend, like, 20 minutes on a game that everybody's spent hours and hours with previously, it just seemed really lame. There, There was, like, the Ninja Turtles game. They released the date, which was like a week away, which is awesome. I don't think anyone expected it to be that soon. I'm looking forward to it. We already knew everything I needed to know about that game to be excited for it. Same with like Gotham Knights and uh, the Marvel Midnight Suns. Like, th- there was literally no exciting announcements in this whole two and a half hours. Like, it was just dry. That's a shame. Do you think it's because the like 
Microsoft and Sony are saving the good stuff for the because like Sony just had a state of play. Are they doing something they, else soon? They did just have one, um, not that I know of. And then as soon as the show came out, there was a lot of rumors like God of War is delayed till next year. And then Jason Schreier put out a post. He's like, no, no, no. Like as of right now, it's still scheduled for November. Like it could be delayed, but internally, that's what they're still shooting for. So I don't like, like you said, Sony just did a state of play. They didn't even talk about God of War, which was at all. Weird. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Uh, hopefully Microsoft's got something coming up in the next day or two here to uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Have something exciting to talk about because it's really yeah, the, dry just across the board. Yeah. The Bethesda showcase is tomorrow, which would be more exciting if Starfield were coming out this year. Um, so we'll see what happens in the Bethesda showcase. And then next week uh, we have a very short Square Enix um, uh, cat, what a celebration cast for the anniversary yeah. of Final Fantasy VII, which would be a really weird time to not show Remake Part Two. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I wouldn't put it past them not to show it since everyone, you know, would like to hear more about it. But, uh, yeah, it's like, so with that, with the Keeleys happening yesterday, Bethesda Showcase tomorrow, the Final Fantasy one on the 16th, like, it does seem like everyone's kind of, you know, kind of just, okay, what, what, whatever information we have, get it out. Everyone's doing it right now. Get it out right now. But And then I think uh, yeah. Microsoft announced that besides the Bethesda one, there's like another like separate Microsoft one like a week or two later. I forget the date, but yeah, hopefully we I got something cool. I thought they were cool. bunching that together with Bethesda. Uh, that was my impression is they were doing like a long like hour and a half show and it was Microsoft and Bethesda. It, it, is, a, it is a Microsoft and Bethesda showcase, but Microsoft said there's going to be an additional one like a week or two later. I, I got to get the exact date. Oh, that seems how, really weird. How excited are you for Fallout 76 and Elder Scrolls Online content? The same amount of excited <laughs> I, I was 40 minutes a year ago. <laughs> Well, you're going to get a lot more, maybe, I'm sure. We'll probably be playing Destiny during that portion of the, <laughs> of the broadcast. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think there's, there's rumors there's going to be another Nintendo Direct soon, too, but they don't have anything scheduled either. Yeah. I mean, unless something changes, looking at a real dry end of the year. So, I don't know. We'll see. It's just going to be, I mean, when I get my Steam Deck next month i mean by all accounts uh, it's gonna be elden ring on the go and i'm just gonna be that annoying guy who's like hey how do i fight brickin the unobtainio uh you know with my flame sword that i got from there Massimo? Is, there's only one boss you'll have to worry about no Were i can say that like much usual suspects like looking around the room and naming things <laughs> yeah my kobayashi mug <laughs> yeah <laughs> I I can tell you that um, yeah there's there's probably you know I'm gonna make an assumption but there's one boss that gives everybody a ton of trouble and it's completely optional so you don't have to do it if you Is don't it want to weapon <laughs> no but this boss will tell you their name every time they kill you you'll get to know it really <laughs> well there's there's a streamer who I don't watch regularly but i see him pop up on my tiktok feed here and there and he was having trouble with this boss i have no idea if it's the one you're talking about and the the joke of this whole thing like just just dead 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 and somebody in chat is like yo there's a cheese just jump off the mountain he'll like jump off with you and die and he's like no 
I'm not going to swear. He's like, no effing way. Like, no, no way, no way. And he like, uh, I guess he's on, a, he's on a horse or a mount, whatever they call it in the game. And he just kind of like slides down and the boss falls down and dies. And he was like, this game, like spending hours on this boss. And all I had to do was like jump off a cliff and the boss is dead. <laughs> yeah. They patched that. Mm. Sorry, Bill. So I can still, I can, <laughs> that's not I the boss I'm talking video about. And edit it into my playthrough. <laughs> <laughs> that's a required boss. Uh, but they nerfed that boss. So you'll be mm. fine. Yeah. Uh, they've not touched this other one. I, I mean, and, <laughs> so. and when we talk about this or I've talked about it before where like, um, I get into these, you know, spots where like I'm playing destiny and the content is really good. It's a good season. I like what's happening and I just play that. And then one or two things will happen. I either like finish all the content for the season and they usually throw in an event or a special thing or like there's like a Valentine's Day themed one where you can earn all these different things or there's like an Olympic themed one where, you know, you fight for your class and stuff like that. And a lot of those things I don't care for. And that's when I'm like, OK, Psychonauts 2, you know, Forza Horizon, you know, just all these other things that are like, OK, like now's my time. I got to go out and do that other thing. So, you know, yeah, it's not great that, you know, we're not seeing some of those big things at the end of this year it's a huge opportunity to kind of switch gears and play some like, I don't even mean the backlog stuff because everyone's got backlog, but I'm talking about the stuff that you're like genuinely excited to play and you just want that time to play it. So I'm going to try to take full advantage of that. If we end up with the, with the dry year that I think we are going to end up with. Yeah. Like Gotham Knights is still supposed to come out like a couple days around my birthday. Mm. So I'm like, that's pretty good timing. Like if that, like I'll probably pick that one mm. up and uh, hopefully It'll get me through the last half of the year. So if I can make one small suggestion, then I'll move off of it, Bill, if you're actually going to look at playing Elden Ring, is um, I've been reading on the PC side, there's a new co-op mod that you may want to look at that really, it you no invasions. Mm -hmm. So that way you can play with people and never have to have PvP, if that's something that interests you, because a lot of people don't like the PvP part. Mm -hmm. But if you don't mind it, then play the game regular. But uh, oh, no, I'm for, I'm for sure go. gonna like. So I we had some buddies, uh, buddies. We had a, a, some friends over tonight. Their kids came over. They're screaming in the yard with our kids, and and he says to me, he's like, he's like, uh, yeah, I'm getting I'm getting Elden Ring for Father's Day. I'm like, oh, good for you, man. That's awesome. I was like, so so Allison told you, and he's like, he's like, I I told her what I want. And then he like he yells over to her and he's like, "Hey, like, you, did you order you ordered my Father's Day present yet?" And she's like, "What?" And he's like, "Elden Ring." She's like, "No, I didn't order it yet." A few minutes later, he's on his phone. He comes back and he's like, "Okay, my Father's Day present's gonna be here tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "Yeah, it's a really fun game co-op." Mm. So, um, yeah, if you've got a friend that's playing it, yeah, awesome. good time, good time to do it. Although random co-op is good too. So, um. Okay, well, I guess that gives me an opportunity to slide into my stuff because you don't have to guess what I've been playing. Um, so I won't. VR? Yeah, so, and not not the one that you posted. <laughs> <laughs> we had a, a fun little sidebar in the Discord uh, where Chris was like, well, you know what? I've been playing ER. And I posted a screenshot of the uh, uh, hospital, uh, you know, what would you call it? Not a sitcom, uh, hospital drama television show that yeah. was syndicated for years the on 90s TBS or whatever TNT when i was growing up with uh uh noel wiley and you know, george clooney for a little while and anthony edwards yeah. who actually lives in my town anthony's a good guy uh goose oh, okay you know who's uh yeah yeah and yeah. uh but yeah so uh 
we had a chuckle about that. Obviously, a different ER going on over there. Yeah, I love because he you posted that picture like a doctor working on a patient, and like the patient is highlighted, <laughs> and it like praise the sun so hard. Oh, he's praising the sun like, so hard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm I'm having fun still working through um, a pure faith build, which I really like. I really like a full faith build. Um, so yeah, Bill, when you're ready to play, if you want to talk builds and stuff, let me sure. know. But um, one one, I think a good way to go in Elden Ring is um, pure faith. Depends, you know, what you like to do. Some people like to do magic. Some people like to do, you know, combat. But um, I won't dread dredge on about that one. I mean, you guys know the game, and you know I'm having fun. But um, the plan is once I can finish wrapping up um, this playthrough. Uh, I'm guessing I'm probably, I don't know, 70% through it. I haven't been rushing it because I've just been doing tons of co-op because that's just kind of fun now that I've played all the way through the game. But once I finish that up, uh, we're going to do um, Triangle Strategy. I know Kelsey's got that one, and we're yeah, going to do a... I'm all ready to rock. Oh, yeah. Give me the word. I've, and and I'm happy for you guys. I feel like you've been talking about it. So like every time we record... I'm like, oh, I bet they've been playing it by now, and like, uh, like, oh, it's. I guess that hasn't hasn't happened yet. I offered to stop, and Kelsey's like, no, keep playing. I mean, because I'll just keep yeah. playing. I'm, I'm going to be playing Elden Ring for a long yeah. time, so I've got no problem just stopping for a while. It's I I I've played enough to where it's not going to be hard for me to pick back up. So Kelsey, if you get bored and you're like, no, nah, I want to start, just tell me. I mean, it's not going to bother me a bit. I to... live in a house of games. I will never be bored. <laughs> Okay, no, that's fine. But if you get the itch and you're like, let's start it, then Wall- yeah, no walls problem. made of Just games. Your faith build, and then we'll we'll do it. Okay, so um, yeah, so that's next on the burner is a uh, triangle strategy. Um, so looking forward to that. Um, sticking to the. Well, I don't know. I'm just going to move off that and then just gonna talk about what I want to talk about in the order I want to talk about it. So, um, uh, I don't. I don't have to go by his outline. Um, I just wanted to take a minute <laughs> and talk on a personal level. Um, he wrote the outline, by the way. It's his own outline. It is, yeah. You know, but, you know, I, it's our show. I can do whatever I want. Um, the uh, today was the Indie Pride Festival, and I volunteered at that. And this is the first event I've been to since COVID mm. was a thing. I had so much mm. fun. And it was so nice to be out and hanging out with people and live music and just stuff going on and tons of people having a great time out and about. I can't tell you how energizing that was for me. And I'm going to apologize for a second. We're going to take a break because my cat's going to meow for a minute. He's energized to too. I think she's done. But yeah, I mean, that was, um, yeah, it was, you know, I've got friends that are like, I don't know, I've never been to a Pride Festival. What do you do? It's like, it's just a great, it's like a big party. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Everybody's happy. Everybody's excited to be there. You get folks that are really just excited to be who they are and what they're into. And that's fantastic. Just like a gaming conference, right? When you go to those, Everybody knows what they're there for. Everybody knows what they're in. And people can go hog wild and dress up and do all kinds of things. And you love every minute of it. 
and this is no different. And man, I just had a fantastic time. Uh, wore myself out, did some volunteering for work at our booth, and then I just hung out for a while and walked around, and so it was a great time. So I just wanted to just take a second there because I, I, you know, I feel so good to do something around other people again uh, after all these COVID years. Um, other than that, uh, you know, getting back into games, the uh, Street Fighter Six stuff has been coming out. And Street Fighter Six, I guess, has been a part of the Summer of Keeley or whatever. You showed uh, Guile right at the start of the show. Yeah, so Guile got announced, but there was there's been a leak recently <laughs> where they basically like the whole cast, the whole season one cast, has basically been leaked. Uh, and Capcom even funny in a tweet kind of nodded like, "Oh, maybe we've all seen things we weren't supposed to see, but you know, we're all you know just excited we're all about this game." Of Metro City. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, they took it in a really positive way, like not like, you know, they're just like, "We know you guys love this stuff. We're excited as well." High yeah, five. That's cool. And I think that's the right way to do it. It's like, look, everybody loves your product. And I get that maybe this steals a little of your thunder with your drip feed of information. But I'm telling you, the people that are into your product are still going to be excited yeah. to see every one of those trailers, even though they know yeah. they're coming. It, it is cool when they take it in stride. Uh, one of my favorites is still like the, uh, I forget what it was from Bethesda, whether it was Fallout or something, like Walmart leaked it. And then at the E3 reveal, oh, yeah. they were like, <laughs> uh, thanks to an early announcement from our partners at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think these days you just have to almost assume yeah. it's going to be almost impossible to keep everything, it, anything If you wraps. can keep it, it's like, man, good job, big win, but like, don't expect it's going to, it's going to stay under wraps. So when it, when it happens, when no. like, cause like Destiny a handful of times in the past has like just dropped a secret mission, just like all of a sudden something happens and the community's like, wait, what, what, what is that? What is that? And then like they figure out, oh, you can open up a portal. Oh! <gasps> it's an exotic mission and then like the social media starts blowing up and then youtube goes crazy so like those moments are awesome and i'm glad that they're there but like you know when you're like preparing for like a big you know like announcement reveal like there's too much information going back and forth between too many people like it's you can't keep everything 100 percent secret and just celebrate your fans for being excited mm -hmm. about your stuff mm -hmm. right you know what would be a lot worse uh, it leaked and nobody no, everyone's like this looks stupid <laughs> right and so when you're they're like oh look, yep. look at this yep. you know okay man roll yep. with it go into so, it and feed so the hype on the other end of the spectrum that last of us remake got leaked like two hours before the show and all the hype was like or sorry all the anti-hype was like really yeah. why like this is part of the show and then like you said about them taking it in stride like Instead of that, you had Neil Druckmann on stage complaining about it, like, hey, I'm working on something else, too. We'll see if someone at Sony leaks that. And, like, he was being really mm. cranky. And I know he was frustrated. He probably thought it was a, a big fun reveal, but, like, yeah, didn't didn't handle it well. I can't imagine that <clears throat> why they would think that would get any buzz anyway, because... Ugh. I don't know either. It, you know, like, okay, when they did Demon Souls, like, yeah, that's big buzz, right? That's something that's hasn't been touched in years hasn't been talked about but like this i'm like man how many i think at this point in time you're like okay like i saw one tweet's a joke about uh you know they've already announced the ps6 and ps7 remakes of this as well or whatever right them at this point yeah 
Yeah, at this point in time, it's like, okay, I mean, are you out of ideas? Because this is like, I don't know if we really... Uh, like you said, I don't want to poo-poo it. So, you know, there's people right. that haven't played it. They can enjoy it. That's yep. fine. And, and, and to be f- but don't expect this to be right. a big and thing. And to be fair, Last of Us 1 was awesome. By all accounts, Last of Us 2 is really, really good. I haven't played it yet. But, I mean, like Kelsey said before, this is a game that didn't come out that long ago. It's still available. It, it you know... I've I've seen if it runs on your PS5 now because yep. the PS4 remaster plays on your PS5. Yeah, you go, and and then so to me like I I'm just I don't want to speak for any developer out there, but like if I'm a developer, imagine being a developer and you've worked on The Last of Us for the five or six years it takes to make that game, and then maybe you end up on the team that's making Last of Us Two, and it's like oh man we've really advanced this the characters the story arc the gameplay like I spent ten years of my life on this like okay like what are we gonna do. We're doing the Last of Us one again, like again, yeah. again, 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 <laughs> again, again squared. So I mean, yeah. So to me, it it just gets a little, you know. If there's people that are excited about it, again, great, good game. But like, like both of you have said, I don't know how anyone could expect people were gonna like lose their mind when this when this was revealed. And the price tag is rough too, at like full yeah. like. 80 bucks for you guys right. or 70 bucks and 90 bucks for and us. any yeah. uh, any mention of a existing owner you know upgrade deal oh sony doesn't do that of course not yeah because if they said like 70 dollars and you get one and two on the same disc okay that would be cool for people yeah. i haven't played totally i probably would have bought that because i still haven't played the second mm. one if they did the yeah. both, yeah. I, I, but, I, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I have a friend who, like, swears by two and is like, oh, you have to play it before it's spoiled. And, like, I'll play it eventually. But, uh, you know, I want to fall into that trap yeah. of start starting hey, it. Let me know when it. you want to jump in there because I do want to play that one as well. Cool. And I haven't okay. yet. Yeah, let's do it. I'll let you guys have at it. I'm kind of apocalypsed yeah. out for a while. <laughs> you're you're, you're so. done playing movies. Hey, Piku Niku is a post-apocalyptic game. <laughs> At least you're having fun in the post-apocalypse. Did you see that? There's like a little banner at the very, like, really far in the distance when you start Pikuniku, and it says, war. War never changes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I missed that. (laughs) So, um, just uh, following up with Street Fighter VI, they have a playable version at the Summer Games Fest, so a lot of, like, content creators, uh, they're letting them you know, demo and shoot video and talk about the gameplay. So I've been watching some of that stuff. Obviously it's very recent. That's like, they are just doing it today and like tomorrow or whatever, but I will have to give it what I've seen so far. Like the devs have really gone all in on a lot of things that I think the community enjoys. I'm like, sometimes even just like, why, you know, this is just silly, but it's fun. Like, the versus screen where you see the two characters while it's loading, like you could make them make like angry faces or goofy faces at each other, like while you're sitting there. Like, what's the point of that? It's just yeah. fun. It's uh, from Soul Calibur. I used to do that all the time. You could, yeah, make the funny <laughs> noise and face. Yeah. And uh, like they've talked or, about, or like, like taunts the, aren't like just MK codes where you could like you know activate big head mode like in the versus screen and stuff like that. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. But uh, they showed, like, a couple taunts, and I I don't know. I mean, Kelsey, you've played Street Fighter, so you know taunts were always like, come on, or something. You know, they were really pretty lame. 
And this one, they're like customized the character. So you see like Luke and Ryu and, and Luke's like going, Hadouken, Hadouken. <laughs> That's cool. So it's, 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 it's pretty funny way to, you know, kind of troll like, people. Like uh, Mr. Miyagi um, trolling Terry Silver. Like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> right? That is funny. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. And so obviously they're talking a lot about the mechanics and it has this new drive system, which... I mean, every one of these games has its own system. Obviously, that's what they do. But they're talking about how this one, and I don't know if this will matter to you, Kelsey, but where 4 and 5 were very based kind of around the Street Fighter 2 formula mm-hmm. and the 2-turbo two, two formula and some of that, they're saying this one feels a bit more like Alpha 3 Third Strike um, in how it's because built. Because it like parrying together. and stuff like that? Yeah, there's parries. Um, and there's perfect parries, um, and they saying like the, the attacks feel heavier, right? Like, uh, and there's a lot of that neutral game. There's a lot of options. So it really takes a lot of thought about what you're doing, right? You, it's at least what they're saying so far is like, it doesn't feel as, um, like flow chart as some of the other games have felt, right? So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. The art style is growing on me. When I first saw it, I went like, oh, this is like Virtua Fighter is what it reminded me of. <laughs> um, right, so I think it looks just as ugly as 4 and 5 until they do those like splashy like kind of paint moves. I, I do like the look of those, but other than that, I think it looks kind of dull. Yeah, the character models, I think it's just something I have to get used to. I mean, I remembered like every time this a new game comes out i'm like i don't know if i like this as much as the last one like i remember when four came out and i'm like oh the 2d was a lot better and and three yes and then i got used to it i'm like okay this is i like it and then you know five came out and i'm like oh i really like like the more hand-drawn-ish kind of 3d that they had before and then now i'm like no i like it and so now six comes out and i'm like oh this is a little more realistic than the other ones and but it's growing so i forgot to mention this and i'm sorry to interrupt but just real quick uh humble bundle um did you happen to notice that the bundle is a capcom right now yeah i'm not on pc but i remember seeing a tweet at least for a few minutes that they uh Maybe by accident, maybe not. Had Street Fighter Five for like a dollar. Uh, yep. So <laughs> in the so bundle. For, uh, so the one dollar bundle is Strider and Bionic Commando. The uh, ten dollar bundle is Street Fighter Five and a fifty percent coupon for the Champion Edition upgrade kit. Um, so not a bad deal if you're looking to get in. And it also inc- uh, gives you Ultra Street Fighter Four, uh, the new Devil May Cry, the DMC one. And if you want to go all in for the 20 bucks, you get the Devil May Cry HD collection, Devil May Cry 5, Monster Hunter World, Dragon's Dogma, like a handful of other stuff. So it just chatting about Street Fighter. I just remembered that. So sorry to interrupt. You're okay. Speaking of, it's a good segue, though, because speaking of Capcom, <clears throat> I don't know, Bill, if you've checked. But Microsoft sent $5 credits to a lot of users, just like out of nowhere. You check your Xbox messages, and they're like, hey, we've given you $5 I've credit. I've seen some stuff like before, but I'll have to check to see if I got anything in the last couple of days. Yeah, because it expires really okay. quick. So if you, you want to check, probably now. I will do it right um, now. <laughs> there you go. But, you know, like they've just tossed $5 in your account. So um, I was like, oh, okay, $5. I don't really have a lot that I want to spend digitally. But I did go through, and um, Capcom Arcade Collection 
was something that came out on last gen, but I had a couple games on, and they had on their digital sale for five dollars you could unlock all the games in the Capcom oh, arcade cabinet, cool. and so like seventeen retro arcade games, and I'm like mm. done. Uh, I'll spend <laughs> my five dollars. And uh, now I can go back and play like all the Black Tiger. And, oh, I was just going to ask him, like, does that Black Tiger? Yeah, it's got Black Tiger in there, and it's got the 1940X games and, and some of the other ones. So I was like, yeah, that's an easy. I'll spend my free $5 so on the, that. There was the other thing, when like when they announced Street Fighter and some of this other news came out, they were like, oh, like World Warrior is free on like every platform right now, like yeah. through the arcade yeah. collection, I believe. Yeah, the new, that's Capcom Arcade Stadium, gotcha, okay. which is their gotcha. new current-gen mm. um, one. Um, so, yeah, if you guys haven't claimed it, Kelsey, if you have an account, you can claim it for free if you want uh, SF2 World Warrior. Um, you probably won't, but you could. You could. On all the plug right, including Switch, right? It's, what do I have hey, to do look to at- get... You have to go on the store and you have to search for Capcom Arcade Stadium Street Fighter 2 and push hey guys, a button. <laughs> guys, breaking news. Work. Two months ago, Xbox sent me a message. We've deposited a $5 gift card you can use to buy games. Balance expires on 716. <laughs> so oh! I am good. <laughs> there you go. Good deal. <laughs> Gotta look at my messages That's more good. often. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got the app on my phone, so they kind I of should pop turn up. The, yeah, but... I, I, I went through a, a phase where notifications were giving me anxiety, so I turned them all yeah. off. Sure. So, yeah, maybe I should go through and say, oh, well, you know, the games wouldn't be so bad. Well, or Wario 64 usually tweets yes. out. Somebody starts getting that I, stuff. I so had notifications for on for Wario for like an hour, and I was like, <laughs> I, I can't. There's too much. Too many deals happen from <laughs> no, this I, person. So I get it. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, so that's probably all in the gaming space that's going on right now, but I'm really excited to dig into some of these analysis mm. on Street Fighter 6. There's only like four characters that are playable right now in the demos, but I'm curious to see like the thoughts, right? Like, you know, what everybody feels like, but so far, you know, it's, it's positive. So that's, that's always good news. Everyone loves yeah. Chun-Li's thighs. That's my takeaway. Chun Li always has the drumsticks yeah. going. But they're bigger than ever now. Yep. I don't know if I'd say that. There's some of those older games where she looked inhuman. Do you, do you guys? <laughs> do you guys know. think we'll get? Uh, from what I've seen. Do you so guys far. think we'll get Lady Hellbender as DLC? <laughs> That'll be uh, just a costume. Oh man, Chun Li. If I could just there's there. Hey, five dollar Xbox gift card. <laughs> there's there's my purchase. <laughs> So the uh, that's weird that like Kelsey, you probably know them. Like the weird opposite of Chun Li is Luke, who uh, has like these Popeye forearms that look crazy. <laughs> they look really weird because they're like series like Popeye, but I like that closely at though. I better check it out next time. Yeah, you got to look at his forearms. It's like. What is happening? <laughs> Does he have a disease? Maybe they just pick a body part for every character and they just make it huge. For for you on this one, it's his chest. He's like, yeah. Yeah. he's he's huge. I can't wait to see Zangief uh, oh, in this yeah. one because my goodness. Um, but yeah, the character leak was interesting too. I mean, I guess we could talk about that for a quick second. I don't want to go through all of them because it'll be boring. Um, 
But a couple things that stood out to me. Number one, Ed is back from five. And I'm like, was Ed that popular to come back again? I don't uh, even remember who that is. Ed is, it's Ed and, um, daggone, I can't think of her name right this second. But they were the, you know, how, um, Bison is constantly cloning himself so he can have a new body when he dies. Like, that's always the thing, right? Mm -hmm. He's always trying to do this. Um, and Ed and, uh, Falk are one of those genetic clones or whatever you want to call them, right? But, of course, never works out, right? He's never going to actually re-inhabit this. But, that's the other interesting thing on this, is Street Fighter Six is finally, story-wise, finally a game past Street Fighter Three. Like, we've been in this Street Fighter Two to Street oh, Fighter Three. yeah. Story-wise, for like De- decades. the last bunch of games, right? So we're finally going to get to find out what's like, you know, post-Illuminati. So I'd have no idea who the boss is going to be, or the big bad, you know, because Bison should be dead by now. Um, where, where, where was? Although maybe that's going to be Ed's yeah. story. Like maybe he does get, you know, yeah. turned into. So for someone who wanted to go without, you know, playing through the games and watching all the the content within the games, if you just wanted to find out the front to back full story of Street Fighter, would you go to like a YouTube kind of synopsis uh, type thing? Or like, do you have to watch some of the anime or, you know, like, how would you go about that? Yeah, you'd probably watch some of that put together like a a storyline video or there's like Street Fighter Mm -hmm. wiki that you could read through. But it's basically like Street... So the order would be Street Fighter 1, Alpha Series, Street Fighter 2 Series, um, Street Fighter 4 Series, Street Fighter 5 Series, Street Fighter 3 Series, and now Street Fighter 6. So um, some of those are story or heavier than others. A lot of like the earlier games obviously just had individual character arcs that sort of weaved together. Obviously, in the last few games, they have more of an overarching story arc that goes on. But um, was also really a couple other returners. Like, so Rashid is back from Street Fighter V. That doesn't surprise me. Rashid was a really popular character from V. And Jury, again, is going to make first round. And, man, you want to talk about the character that probably i think got the most love out of street fighter 4 like she was such a late addition to the roster in street fighter 4 and man does jury have a following and she was first round you know in five and now first round in six so you know i think she's in uh, project cross zone she was a big big important character in those games yeah i think she's um, gonna be rivaling chun li for you know main gal spot but um, they're both leg based too. Well, jury is for the feet fetish people, but <laughs> um, the uh, it always just interesting now that basically like Ryu and Chun Li are the mascots of Street Fighter, right? Yes. Um, they have taken that like Ken now is not right. Although Ken's always hair, we don't talk about him. He's always going to yeah, be around. Ken, like, you know, he's Ken's always got in the first kind of that roster. one of the weirdest looks to me in that leak roster with like the. Like he got the red pants. There's, there's some great memes about. But man, there's like like the like that jacket, like the like the hair is almost like a Final Fantasy type uh, 
so if you're on like Street Fighter Twitter, they have like pictures of him in like a back alley, and he's like, "Ryu, she took the children. She took everything." Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know it was yeah, Ken first, and, and then I'm looking, and I'm like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> he looks kind of like Terry too. A lot of comparisons mm. to Terry. Yes, Fatal Fury. He's a little more gruff, Ken now, and also Guile has facial hair now and eyebrows. So I don't know if you guys didn't ever notice this, go look at Street Fighter Five Guile. He has no <laughs> eyebrows. <laughs> so he's decided to stop shaving completely his face. <laughs> Wild. Not not completely, because he's got the beard. Just literally just his eyebrows he stopped shaving. <laughs> but he's got, you know, that was always the joke yeah. about Guile yeah. and Street and, Fighter. And Akuma's <laughs> got the I don't know, I haven't really seen him in a while, but like he's got this weird like just like almost like a Zelda character. A man. Yeah, he just yeah, he, has a he looks like yeah. Th- that happened in Street okay. Fighter Five. What are those big dudes in uh, in Zelda that are like Gorons? No, like they're, they're like almost like centaurs, almost like light. Li- oh, uh, yeah, it's not tip my Yeah, it's too. like uh, Lionel, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah like yeah. he almost yeah, yeah just Lionel. has this like really harsh. You know, kind of look to him. So that that was a five thing. Yeah, he had a main in five. Although they always have like classic costumes. So if you want to go back to their original looks, you know, they always do that. But I enjoy the rope um, belts for uh, some of the mascot characters. It's gonna be interesting to see where the story goes. I'll be curious to see kind of how that works because I would presume Gil has been defeated and Bison is dead. So. I don't know. Like Shad- this is like post the end of Shadowloo. So, I don't know. I-, I like the lore stuff when it comes to Street Fighter. So, anyway, I won't spend any more time on that. But that's interesting. Um, Film-wise, I did watch the movie of the month. I watched Miami nice. Vice. I will save any comments for when we talk about it. So, I won't, I won't say anything more than that. It was on HBO Max, just like you said. I'm doing it. And then I also, at the same point in time, um, flipped over because they have like the whole Turner Classic Movies things. I've really been finding some interesting stuff in there. But I went and I had like a, because it was late. I'm like, I'm kind of tired. I don't really feel like watching something else, but I'm not quite ready for sleep yet. You know how you do that. And so I like, is there something short I can watch? So I flipped into like the silent movie section. And a lot of like these classic silent movies, they have quite a few that are like they're like five mm-hmm. minutes long, right? Because they're like extremely early films. Like some of these are like eighteen ninety eight, like early nineteen hundreds, and where people are really just learning mm-hmm. the craft and experimenting. And I'll be honest, I enjoyed watching them because they're short and it's all about just kind of the excitement and newness and experimentation of the format. Like a lot of the films they have there are this French guy and he's like playing around, like basically kind of like doing magic acts, but you can tell there's just jump cuts mm-hmm. right on a lot of these things, which they probably wouldn't have recognized that so, point. Is time. that the French guy that did the one where he like experiments on his own head and the other one where he like shoots a rocket to the moon? Um, it's like the, yeah, like the guy that takes his head off and puts yeah. it on tables and stuff. Yes, I've seen some of those. Those are crazy cool. Yeah, some yeah, of the so they, are just wild. Yeah, they've got that collection like of some of his films on there, and yeah, like that one with the heads is like eighteen ninety eight, and he's like he takes his head off and he puts it on a table, and then he's got his head and he gets to do it again, <laughs> <laughs> and 
And, like, now, obviously, you know what's going on. But back then, obviously, it had to be, like, a huge novelty to see what was happening. But it was just fun. Like, he was just having a lot of fun and imagining all of these things that could be done with this format. And it reminded me of something after watching Miami Vice, which all I'll just say right now is incredibly heavy, right? I'll just leave it at that for right now. We'll talk more about it later. And then watching these just go, man, why, what happened to films mm. being fun? And I feel, I feel like right for a while now, like cinema has gotten so dark and edgy and moody and everything has to just i long for fun right just remember can you guys remember for a minute part of what i go to this for is entertainment right not to remind me of how bad life sucks and how horrible the world is and how horrible human beings are i get enough of that i'm good i don't need any more can we have fun and remember what's good about people and laugh and be silly for a minute and just enjoy life, please, for a minute. We've got to because push back in that direction soon because you're right. It's been like that for 10, 15 years now, like pretty consistently. Right. Like I'm going back and I'm watching some of the stuff from the 80s and like there's just chock full of comedies and some of them are just playing out stupid silly but you know what? I laugh and I have a good time and I enjoy it. And that does not exist anymore. Just does not happen. Right? The best you're going to get is a comedian's Netflix special. Those um, are pretty political yeah, now, these, too. They're not these even days, that Yeah, most of them are like, oh, let's again, we're going to talk about how bad the world sucks. It's like, oh, man, I just, I'm, I'm really dying for... Look, man, the world has sucked for a few years. All right? We get it. Can we laugh for five seconds, please? So I would I would like some more of that. And I got some of that from these silent films. An age where they didn't have to spend every waking moment on how the universe was about to explode and how bad <laughs> mankind was. It's so refreshing. So um yeah. That's if you guys want some something a different taste. Check out like the Turner Classic Movie section in uh, in in HBO Max. So I'm not going to spend any more time on that. I'm going to get into our topic for this episode. And I was thinking about this one because you know, there's been a lot going on and um, stuff that I've been goofing off with. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about something I've been playing around with lately and enjoying and see what your guys' thoughts are. And this is kind of around this idea of retro computing and kind of how, you know, not that it hasn't been a thing, but um, I think there's more interest in it as, as time goes on and uh, in a wide variety of formats. So I kind of wanted to start this conversation by going around and having given you guys an opportunity to talk about you kind of your own personal history with computers, like first computers you got, how did it impact you? What did you do with them? What did you learn? What did it mean? So I'm just going to kind of start in that same cycle that I went through before. So Bill, if you want to talk to us about kind of your, your starting point and your, your history with computing. Sure. So we 
had a, I want to say it was a 286 or a 386. I know we had a 386. We might have had a 286 first. Um, and I didn't realize it was a 286 at the time. I had to, like, you know, years later when I'm like, hey, what was that old computer we used to have? And then I went back and found out that's what it was because uh, this was in the mid 80s, uh, mid to late 80s, because we were uh, uh, trying to think we moved out of that house in 92 or 93 um, to prepare for Windows 95. We had to get a new home. And, uh, uh, but yeah, we had, we had a 286 and this was very much, uh, you know, just, just to imagine a different time when there were not computers in the school and <laughs> so computers, even though they've been around, you know, for a while in, you know, businesses and, you know, like, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, so what I'm looking for, not databases, but, uh, um, mainframe, like mainframe computers, like that dealt with like, you know, like big, uh, bigger things so well it's like it's like oh we got a computer daddy brought home a computer oh cool like where'd he get it i don't know like did he get it from work <laughs> did a friend give it to him like i don't know so then it was all because we had the nintendo so it was like all right like how's it work like do you turn it on it's like okay well you don't just turn it on like you turn it on but then there's also like the monitor there's the hard drive there's the di there's all different pieces to it it was very um uh modular and uh uh so just kind of learning how it worked and then uh uh i remember that once it loaded up there wasn't like a gui or anything because it was just you know it was like a prompt and we had a word processor on this computer so it's like okay we have the what can we do with it now and it's like well you can launch the word processor so you launch the word processor and said, so what do we do? You can write whatever words you want. So we started like writing letters and stuff like this. And then we had a dot matrix printer, which is one of those like side perforated, you know, with like the, the holes in them that would, you know, kind of feed the paper through. Um, and then we realized, okay, well, what can we do? What else can we do? And it's like, oh, well, we can, they used to sell these things because now we have the internet where we can just get whatever you want. But like, if you wanted to make like a Kermit the Frog mask, you had to go to the office max or the staples or the office depot or whatever. And you had to buy like the Muppets, uh, you know, like clip art kit or like, you know, these like fun kits. So we had this program and you went in and it was all text-based. So it's like, what do you want to do? Like one masks, two greeting cards, three Valentine's four. So you were like playing a text game. Like, okay. I want a mask. So who do you want? Kermit the frog. I want Kermit the frog. And then a big thing started printing out. And then it's dot matrix and it's like a ribbon. So it's like, nyeh, nyeh, nyeh. so it took a while and then it came out <laughs> and it was like, like ASCII art, <laughs> like a Kermit the frog mask. <laughs> and you looked at it and you're like, that isn't Kermit the frog. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like our beginning experience. And, and it didn't really do anything graphics wise because it was so basic. And it was, I don't remember if it was the 286 or if it was when we finally got the 386, and my dad was like, let me show you Microsoft Flight Simulator. And that was a big deal compared to what we had been doing uh, with computers. So I'm sure in a little bit we'll get into kind of where it went from there with the Windows. Uh, we had an AST, which was its own kind of front end on this operating system, then 3.1, then, uh, you know, 95. But, uh, yeah, so my start with kind of, you know, retro computing was in that, like, very early 286, 386 uh, uh, area 
where it was really just trying to figure out like what can this thing even do and it wasn't for a while later when we went to my cousin's house and we saw them playing like x-wing and tie fighter we're like wait a minute you can play games like this on a computer like we thought games like that had to be you know on a game console or an arcade so yep started off uh, pretty early on with the two and 386 models in our house so do you recall um with the 286 i mean that would have been the right time frame did you have do you remember if it was cga color graphics or did you have monochrome we definitely had color because i remember playing uh okay. uh i want to say it was called typing tutor it was one of the other games we had and it was like a, it was like a blue screen hmm. and there were different colors where one of my favorite things was it was almost like defender where like there was like an attack happening on this city and you had to protect the city on the bottom but the things that were falling were like words and letters and punctuation so you had to like type boat you know to to stop the thing from from crashing and i remember so, color that we, we I'll, I'll jump into mine a little bit here but we had that game too when we lived with my grandparents and we were just learning how to type obviously because most people were at the time so you, you know you'd be lucky to get boat before it crashed yeah. your city but my grandmother was a court stenographer nice. and she would sit down <laughs> and it would just be like firing missiles like crazy. Nothing would hit it. It was so crazy to watch her play this game and just destroy all of so us. She was it. the last starfighter. She was. She would have got uh, taken out That's to space. That's so cool. That's funny. So, yeah, then you probably remember like um, all those really weird colors of CGA or like the magenta and yep. the cyan and... <laughs> yep. Uh, and yeah, you're like, wow, these are some colors. Yeah, I remember, right? um, I remember seeing monochrome because like, like at the time, uh, I don't know if, if they still use these and I assume they do, but like when you would go to like a Macy's or like, like a Sears or something, and it's just this big old, you know, black beige monitor that showed one color and that was it. And we never owned one of those at the house. We always had, uh, the cyan. Um, I, I vividly remember blue being on our our monitors so i know it wasn't monochrome yeah so i'm gonna guess it was cga then i mean that would make sense for the time but um you know even then it was not uncommon especially if your dad was doing it for business you know monochrome was was still a thing and i'm assuming that's why he got the computer was for work to be honest like because that's the other thing is like no internet back then so like um my dad at the time was Uh, I know he was he was in night school um, because he was working on, you know, advancing his uh, his educational level to, you know, be able to do more, you know, provide better for the family and everything. And he was working in healthcare. He was in administration. Uh, He he was like the the head of like a couple different ERs. He like ran some doctor's offices Um, and that was like during the day. And then at night it was like night school. So if he i don't if he got it i don't think it was for work it might have been for like school work to like write things and like you know be able to print out like nice uh you know using his word processor you know print out nice documents instead of just writing it in cursive but yeah to be perfectly honest i don't remember him working on it i just remember playing on it you know on the weekends when we were allowed to go into the office which we weren't allowed to go into except for on the weekends when we were allowed to go in it so yeah, that's what I was going to ask too, and I'll ask Kelsey when we get to you. Did your parents try to encourage you to use it because, boy, learning computers was the important thing of the future, or they're like, "No, this is don't touch have, this thing." I have, it's 
a I lot of money. Vivid recollections of my mom being like, you know, piano lessons. Like I know they're 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 a pain. Like you know, they take you away from you know cartoons and other, and playing with your friends and other stuff. But she's like, you don't know the doors that it's going to open, the opportunities you're going to have. Like you just don't know, and you won't know until. But like it'll 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 do things for you. Probably promise you. I remember those conversations around playing piano about, you know, like being really good and being involved in team things because it's going to advance. I don't have any memory of my parents being like, this is the future and that's why you have to learn it. It was just like, hey, we got a computer. You can play this thing, too, instead of watching Ninja Turtle cartoons uh, on Saturday. Okay. And you said at that point in time, your school didn't have any computers. I remember the first time the school got computers it was gateway because there was like cow boxes everywhere with that, like what yeah. white and black. Uh, and we didn't have a computer lab in our school. And then like when they made that deal, they were like, Oh, like whatever this room used to be like study room B is now the computer lab. And like, we were going to have computer courses and you're going to actually sit and learn Excel and this and that. So yeah, there were no computers in our school until those gateways showed up, which was after this two eighty six three eighty six era for me. So do you remember about what grade you were in when you first got a this school computer? This has got to be... I mean, I'm trying to think back because we did have, like... Remember I told you the story about cannon fodder on the last show? There was, like, a computer in someone's office, but it wasn't, like, a computer that, like, a student was supposed to be able to use. You know what I mean? And then there were computers that were, like, okay, like, you know, we can play Oregon Trail on that, you know, like once a quarter you know but same thing it wasn't like a regularly used things maybe not for our grade and that was probably third or fourth grade we had oregon trail but like it was probably wasn't until i was in middle school that we had like a regular computer lab so probably sixth seventh grade something like that okay yeah all right so kelsey how about you how about uh wait and the great white north how was computing up there so this was actually really neat for me because I've never actually just sat down and figured this out before. And I didn't grow up in the Great White North. I grew up in southern Manitoba. And so growing up there, uh, in grade one, I, I have memories of going to the computer lab. And at that time, it was the, I think they were like iMacs, like the the apples with the colored backs to oh the yeah so like the bondy blue yeah and the, so yeah. it seemed really new and modern at the time um and everything was like very vivid color i remember doing simple like geometry kind of things like fit the shapes in and, and fractions and stuff like mostly math related work we would do on those um and then we lived with my grandparents for a couple of years there well, my mom was going to school and my grandparents were the first ones on the block to get a computer. So I learned how to do some like really simple like DOS commands and stuff. Uh, it was like probably Windows 3 slash DOS machine. Um, and I, I remember how excited the family was to have this and how lazy my schoolwork got. Because the year prior to having that computer, I won a gold medal in the science fair for doing this 
project on air pressure and we had built all these models to like show how the air pressure worked and stuff. And then my next year, the follow-up was like, I just printed off facts about dinosaurs on my computer and didn't actually like have any real research or anything to show. And so I went from gold medal to like, we don't come back next year if this is what you're going to do. Lazy kid. Yeah. Um, but like at that point I was the kid who they like my parents friends would invite over like their computers acting up like we'll send our kid over and he'll he'll fix it for you kind of thing um and then my cousins that we'd visit once in a while i think they had a commodore 64 i'm a little fuzzy i could be wrong uh but we used to just play games on that one uh they had the little joysticks we'd play like bubble bobble and super solvers and stuff like that uh but then we moved to the great white north and took a huge step back in computers. So I went from that grade one to four, having those iMacs to having monochrome Apple twos from like the early eighties in our school when we moved and we had no computer at home anymore, nothing for a long time. So those old Apple twos at school, you know, they could run like number munchers and, um, Oregon trail. And, uh, we do like little typing programs on them. That was about it. Um, and it wasn't until the late 90s when we got a, uh, a 486. So Apple IIs, I mean, that's a big step back. Cause like the Apple II came out in like 78 or whatever, right? Yeah. It's somewhere yeah. around in there. And so how jarring was that for? Because what was this year that you were, when you moved? This would have been about... probably 93 94 wow yeah and that's so like a 15 year old computer at that point in time right yes uh so how jarring was that i mean were you just like okay i can't do anything with this this is pointless or no like i i don't know i didn't have one view of what a computer was because like we had a different one at home than school had and then our cousins had so it just seemed like another computer to me like i don't remember thinking too hard about it or being upset that it was uh less of a machine or anything i was just like okay this one can do different things so this is what i can do with it okay all right so um when did you actually have a computer in your house then so later in the 90s a few years after this uh we got our first 486 at home when my friends were buying pentium ones at the time well, I mean, there was that transition time where Pentiums were rather expensive. Yes. So that's not surprising. Yeah, sorry. My fr- I went to, when we first moved, I went to the rich kid's school for a year. So some of my friends were like doctors and lawyers, parents and stuff. So they had the money for those. So while they were like showing me uh, like Siberia and Diablo and stuff, I was at home with like King's Quest and Civilization and those kind of things, uh, which my dad actually got really hooked on Civilization, I remember, for for about half a year. Um, yeah, so we had that at home. We did nothing but play games on it. It was not there for any other purpose. Um, I'm pretty sure my dad bought it like off a coworker who was going to throw it out for like 50 bucks kind of thing. So were your parents just encouraging you or they were like, this is important for you to learn this? Or I mean, how it was just like, here's just a thing we bought. Yeah, I pretty confident my dad just bought it to like play like a flight sim game like falcon <laughs> or something like that and civilization because it was 50 bucks from a co-worker i, I if 
that opportunity didn't arise, we probably wouldn't have got a computer for a few more years. I don't think they saw the value in it other than entertainment. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I, I don't have a single memory of my mom ever on it at any point either. So that's going to be interesting because to kind of juxtapose my stuff, I mean, obviously being a few years older, a little different. Um, my first computer was Text Instruments, it was TI-99-4A. And that was a computer that came out in like 79, but it was really expensive at the time. Popular home computer, expensive. Mm-hmm. Um but for various reasons um, and competition, uh, by the early 80s, had gotten really cheap because they were just having to just dump them, right? And, and try to sell these things off. So we, uh, I got my computer as a Christmas gift. Probably, I want to say, 83? So like it was just Christmas. yours? It wasn't like the family's? Yes. Whoa. So... That was kind of why I was asking because my mother was really big on this, which was not uncommon at the time, which was computers of the future. Teach your kids computers. This is going to be really important for them, right? Um, I, I, it was just kind of a thing in that early '80s period, right? The idea of a home computer was new, and if you can get your kids plugged in, like this is when. Like, computer camp was a big thing. Like, summer camps, but you'd send your kid to computer camp (laughs) to learn how to use a computer and to program. And I actually went to a computer camp one year as a kid, and we would go to a computer club. Um, Because, you know, those... I mean, obviously, Kelsey, I know you've been exposed to them now, and Bill, I don't know if you've ever dealt with these old computers. Out of the box, I mean... They had basic built in, you know, uh, programming language. And the expectation was you would write software. You'd write your own programs uh, or you would type in programs that were given to you. And the computer came with a pretty thick manual, right, that taught you how to learn to program. And even at a kid's level, that was something that was really that was the point, right? That's why you were getting a computer was you're going to learn how this thing works and you're going to have to program it to do what you want it to do. Like if you want a game, well, <laughs> figure out how to write a game or you could buy some. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had some cartridge games. There were a few that came for it, but I spent a lot of my time either magazines had type in programs that you would just transcribe right. into the computer and I'd save to a cassette tape. Which is a big was a big deal because I originally didn't have anything to save anything to. My grandparents got me a cassette player that would hook up to the computer, and uh, and that's what or you would take and learn from that in the book, and you're like, okay, I'll write my own thing, and it would be a goofy thing that you would maybe show to other people at the computer club. But there were so many different computers at the time. It wasn't really something like I could take my basic program and then give it to my friend and then they could type it in and it would work on theirs, right? If they didn't have the same computer, every flavor of basic wasn't identical. So they were similar, but not the same. So some really simple things would be fine, but otherwise you'd have to know how to modify or whatnot. And a lot of type-in programs of the day would be like, okay, here's the Apple II version. 
But if you have this computer, change this line to this and this line to this, and they would just have like this whole section, right? Like Commodore 64 users change these lines. Uh, you know, TI users change these lines. And um, and that's how I got started with all that stuff because that was a thing. Like my mother picked this up because like, this is really important to learn. And my family, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, and... My parents are not, they're blue collar people. You know what I mean? The computers and all that stuff, no. Um, but I think they saw like, we don't want you to be stuck here in this, right? You know, trying to advance your kids forward. And obviously I had an interest in those kinds of things. So it was a good fit. So that was kind of my first experience. And I ate it up. I mean, I read through those books. I would type every program in. I would do all the stuff. Um, I enjoyed going to the camps and learning to program and see the different stuff. And I, I, if to me, it worked. I mean, obviously, it set me on my career path that I'm still in and working on. So that you know, from that standpoint, it was a success. But um, you know, that escalated to you know, again, at the time. We got that computer because it was heavily discounted, right? Um, and so, like, my second computer was a Commodore 64. Same thing. Like, got it once it was discounted a bit, although it was still kind of expensive. And um, and kind of tell thing. I didn't have my first PC until I was grown and could buy it myself. And I bought it secondhand off somebody. Uh, and it was a 286 machine. And it was probably 94 or so when I bought that computer. Um, and that was the first PC I'd ever dealt with. And that's what I started learning things on and then just kind of kept going from there. So that's a little about my background. So it's kind of interesting to hear how... And I think that was a uniquely early 80s thing where there was just this drumbeat to parents like, you have to... Mm. This is coming. Teach your kids. They need to learn this stuff, Right. Um, and it's not, this is not just games. They can play games. They'll like that, but that's kind of the doorway to them learning. I do remember, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I do remember my mom saying things like, oh, like eventually like all your work's going to be done on a computer. So like, it's important, but like, it wasn't like pushing me to like, you know, like learn programming or learn coding or anything like that. She, it's in her mind. It was like, we have to have one just so that there's one here and like eventually these are going to be all over the place. But yeah, I don't remember early on at least that push, like maybe once it kind of happened in school and it was like, you know, they had classes for it and stuff like that. But yeah, at home it was definitely just like flight sim typing tutor, uh, you know, the occasional Oregon trail. And then a little bit later um, we really liked where in the world is Carmen San Diego first we're in the usa is carmen san diego and we would just play this game and then just like we don't know anything about the world or like you know like what's the capital of this because it was all like hints based on locations so just constantly yelling upstairs like where's mardi gras (laughs) like oh it's in new orleans new orleans new orleans and then you know so we weren't really playing it my parents (laughs) were just you know giving us the answers but yeah it was like kelsey said in his it was like primarily like to play games like that was 
except for the odd, you know, like word processor thing here or there, it was a machine that games were played on in our house. And it probably wasn't until <laughs> when we were in high school, you know, a few years later after we, you know, we had our 286, we had our 386. And then before like kind of like Windows PCs really kind of like hit big, at least near us, there were all these companies making computers that kind of had like their own front end over an operating system. And I don't know a whole lot about like what the actual operating system was, but we had this uh, computer from a company called AST and you turned it on and it came up and it kind of had its own like look and feel like it was probably like an IBM compatible and you could run like compatible software on it, but it wasn't windows. It was like the weirdest, one of the weirdest things I've ever, you know, uh, uh, had. And then eventually we got like a windows 3.1 machine uh, or no, maybe a the AST was like a front end over a Windows 3.1 because then 95 was when it was like, all right, now we have the Windows, that kind of classic Windows experience. And then we started getting into uh, the Microsoft Encarta uh, product and the Cinemania. <laughs> and I think this is when my parents started to realize the educational uh, capability of the, com of the home computer because we would just, you know, be looking up, you know, like classic art and architecture you know on encarta or like you know my mom was oh like put in this kind of bird and you put that in then you get to see a little clip of a bird so uh it probably wasn't until then that it was probably you know really seen as a as an educational or like a powerful like learning tool uh, at least in my house so early on it was 100 percent a game machine so as i moved into high school um probably around grade 10 i was we started having uh class options that were like computer animation computer programming and i i wanted those electives so i signed up for them and i'm pretty confident i was the only kid in the class that couldn't go home and work on things too because we didn't have a computer at home other than the mm -hmm. 486 so i couldn't do my computer animation homework and stuff unless i came after hours mm -hmm. did it in the class so that was weird for like a year and then my dad finally found a reason why he wanted a computer in our house. And, and he was never what you guys are talking about. Like, I see the educational purpose. He was like, I see something I can use this for finally. And that was Napster and CD Burner. Mm. Because he had a friend uh, who lived in the same province in a different, different uh, city where they would mail cassettes back and forth and like trade <laughs> tapes great. all the time. And he's like, now I can get all these songs I've always wanted and I can send him all these. So he burned like crazy amounts of CDs and he would like, we did the Columbia records, like, you know, you get your nine CDs for a penny and then you pay 20 bucks plus shipping for the last one kind of thing. You would buy all these CDs, rip them to the computer, share them on Napster, burn them, send copies to every friend he knows. And so he got it specifically for music, and that's when I was finally able to uh, do actual modern computer stuff uh, with the rest of the world at the same time. It was probably around grade 11. Wow. That's such a, a weird story to me. Um, see, we, uh, we in computers in schools, obviously, you know, uh, didn't have them when I was little, but... Um, in middle school was the first exposure to computers that we had. And they were Apple IIs because Apple had a big push into schools. And um, so we, we, like, we took a class and in middle school taught us how to type. Uh, you know, obviously stuck with me all this time. That's where I learned to type was in middle school. And uh, 
and we learned some programming and and whatnot. So I wonder, you know, I I kind of understand that they made that part of computers may seem antiquated, having to program your own stuff to, for it to do anything. But I also wonder if it's almost was a disservice to people to never have to do that when you guys were growing up because you you were never forced to learn anything about right. programming, yeah. and right? And I I think it's a disservice because because the st- uh, the things that I did have to learn about was working in a DOS environment and understanding inputting commands and changing what I'm asking the computer to do. I would like for you to change the directory, so I'm going to type in CD. And then this is what dot dot does. And then this is what space slash does. And if I want to go backwards and if I want to go forwards, and if I'd like to look on the internal network versus the external network, because there are things that I learned in a uh, text-based operating system that I don't have to like use every day, but knowing them just foundationally advances my understanding of the way things work. Like to this day, there are still times when I'll be on someone's machine, either providing support or just like working with a vendor or something like that. And it's like, you know what? I don't know how to get the program, the program to do this. Let me jump into an administrative command prompt real quick and I can make it work. And there are still people who are like, how did you do that? And like, I, I, I know I know this little piece of the language and I know if I knew more, whether it's, you know, some Python or some PowerShell for scripting or, you know, some, you know, some C plus or Java or like any of the other, you know, programming uh, basics, um, it just would advance that, you know, that much further. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so f- f- I, I for sure think that uh, it is a disservice uh, to people's knowledge, having never had to do any programming like some of the early folks did. Because I remember, um, I mean, I I was taught flowcharting, mm-hmm. right, at a young age, and we had to write flowcharts because if you were going to develop a program, well, you first wrote on paper a flowchart to figure out what you wanted it to do, and then you wrote a program around that. Um, and you know, my to this day, you use flowcharting all the time, and you know, I mean, I think it gave me abilities like you know, just the other day. <clears throat> I'm like trying to figure something out for work and I'm like, oh, well, I've never messed with, you know, um, like I was like power, power apps or whatever it is on the Microsoft. It was like power BI, power, you know, whatever, power automate. That's it. So it was like, okay, I've never messed with power automate, but let me hop over there. But it's like that same kind of flow idea to get anything to happen. So I'm like, oh, okay, I can figure this out. I mean, it's probably not elegant, but it works. (laughs) And uh, I, I credit that foundation that I got way back in the early 80s that I still constantly go back to the well for. So I think that was well served. So, Kelsey, what do you think? You think uh, you would have had any interest in programming if you had been exposed to it or just nah? Yeah, probably in the gaming side. Like lately, I've been tinkering in Unity. And when I get to the programming sections, like, man, it... it it slows me down huge understand it takes me a lot to understand what's going on and eventually it clicks and like oh, okay they're talking this is to control horizontal movement it's really not that hard to understand but because of the way it's written it's like a foreign language to me it takes i have to read it like four or five times to to make sense of it and it's not 
coming very easily whereas the rest of of stuff in unity like it's it's pretty it's okay to figure out for someone who doesn't have a big computer background but that part is really a slag mm. to to go through and i remember when i was taking computer programming in high school i didn't really have a good solid background and every other kid in the mm. class did and so the teacher didn't really know how to teach me specifically because I was at a different level than all the other kids there too. Uh, so yeah, I had like different expectations for what I was uh, to hand in for assignments and stuff in that class. Yeah. Cause I, I think about, you know, the foundational logic behind programming, whether it's basic from the eighties or a lot of the things now, it's still the same ideas, right? I mean, I learned about like logic structures and I had to learn about variables and these things don't really change. So, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. We, you know, I'm sure. Variables never change. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Uh, I've never done objective, uh, program or object based stuff. I, I'm, you know, the, the fairly other standard things seem, you know, I've like, Oh, here's this like, uh, javascript or whatever you're like oh, okay i mean like, once you learn the flavor like okay it still does the same sorts of stuff so once you kind of understand its structure okay so we've talked a little about that and so um you know obviously what i'm hearing from you too is that dos right was an important piece of the puzzle for you and then and windows and bill obviously you've talked a lot about how you had to learn dos and dos yeah. commands and same way, like that's how I learned PCs, and that's still and, integrated. And even when into we me. ended up in Windows, our Windows machine didn't have a ton of RAM, so you had to create boot disks so you could have more of your resources available, which isn't really a thing you do anymore. But having that foundation, even when getting to Windows, it's like, all right, we got, we're we're going boot disk so we can play, you know, X Y Z game. So yeah, and then just going through those uh some of those game manuals it's like okay you can just do it like this or they would tell you when they're like here's how you create a boot disc and here's how you boot to it and here's how you know you do all these things so it's it, it's crazy how much of that has been useful like every step of my you know computer career like personal and professional so and it's it it's it's really fantastic how much you can do with it and it's one of the things that uh, that I miss about, you know, those uh, sometimes I'll just open up a command prompt just, you know, for old time's sake, because it's fun and I can do it. Yeah, I mean, I still do a lot of that, too. And I guess these days, if you want to be on that side of it, it's really Linux is the mm-hmm. place to be. Um, but, yeah, they've done such a good job. I think sometimes to the detriment of real computer users. I mean, they've made the computer such a black box that, yes, any Joe Schmo can use it, right? But on the flip side, it doesn't really teach you anything right. anymore, right? I, it's not... It's not... Just using a computer in general is not going to do a lot for you to right. advance like, you anywhere so in, these And the days. way I think about that is like whether you were kind of like taught to just do things, you know, step by step. And it's one of the differences I see in, in different kinds of people. And it's not like always of a certain age. It's like a certain type of person, but there are, you know, there are people who will, you know, ask you, 
like, Hey, how do you, how do you do this? And you say like, Oh, well, you know, you just, you would go here and then you would do, you, know, you would look for this and you would do this. And there's two kinds of people. There, there's kinds that have kind of been like taught to learn or like they've been conditioned to learn things and be logical and intuitive and think, Oh, well that would make sense. And then they'll just think in their head, it would make sense for me to go to settings and then display and then look for the thing I'm looking for. And then the other kind of person is as soon as you say like step two, they're like, wait, 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 let me write this down. And you're like, no, it's okay. You don't, re- you don't have to write it down. Just, just follow, follow where I'm going with this. Yes. Yes. And then you like, do. No, 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 no. <laughs> I have to write this down. And it's just, it used to frustrate me. And I, I guess I, over the years, I've just kind of learned like, it's just different ways that people learn, but if someone was, you know, forced to use it, not forced, but like if someone had to use a computer the way we did when we were growing up, I think that leads you to be more of that type of person who looks for solutions, looks for things that are intuitive, finds a solution and then, you know, can can solve a problem versus someone who just turns on a computer and says, OK, how do I how do I get email on this? And then they just enter in a name and password. I have, I have obtained my email and then that person's not, you know, like you said, using it as like the tool that's going to advance anything. They're just, you know, kind of utilizing a, a function that it provides. So Kelsey, hey, cause obviously Bill and I are, have IT careers and, mm-hmm. and you don't, uh, you're in healthcare. So how do you feel like when we're talking about this, do you think like, well, it wouldn't help me any, I don't care or do you see a different side because you also have the hobby? No, I totally agree with what you're saying. And like when Bill is describing that person, like I feel like that person sometimes where I'm like, I wish I understood this as well as what's being explained to me right now. Cause I feel like I'm missing a step somewhere and I don't know how to identify where the step is I'm missing. And if I was able to, like it would just make a lot of situations really easy. Cause like I, I hope I don't do it too often, but like when I do have a computer issue, like I do reach out to you guys and I'm like, Hey, like where where can I look for this? Or have you ever dealt with this before? And you guys walk me through it. Um, Whereas, yeah, if I had that stronger foundation, um, I'd probably understand where the issue is and be able to find a solution myself a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're forced to learn how the computer works, then when there's problems, you understand, okay, well, this is the path that this would have to go through. So, I mean, I just have to follow the chain. And, and if, again, if it's like a black box that just, I push buttons and things happen, you don't, there's no ability to do that, right? There's no, I can't follow a, a train of logic. Yeah. When I have an issue, I don't know how to pinpoint it. So I'm usually Googling it to try and figure out how someone else has pinpointed it rather than knowing myself where the issue is, where to look. Yeah, and I even think, like, PCs is not really a thing anymore, I don't think, as much as it was. Like, um, I had the 286, and then I had, like, a Pentium. You know, like my first, like, first computer, that 286 was, I bought it off someone, so it was what it was. But I still mm-hmm. opened it up, and I tinkered with it, right? And you played around with the hardware and like okay can i upgrade this like i'll get a card and and then the next one i bought was a store-bought computer i didn't love that as much and then the next computer i bought was i'm gonna build this thing from scratch right and i ordered all the parts and i built the thing from the ground up and 
that was very satisfying and taught me a lot right and um again it's like an experience that i don't think a lot of people get anymore i'm I'm curious about the the first one you ever bought ground up what was like your kind of general hardware and operating system when you did that just to give me a circa so that would have been a pin yeah it would have been a pentium uh probably a later pentium probably like mmx era pentium um i pretty sure it had a okay. 3d card but it would have been probably like ati or something i wasn't into like that wasn't at that time i was not using my computer a lot for gaming right i mean that's not what i was doing um again i was still treating it like my old computers where i was yep. working and learning right that's what still the yeah. tool i was using it for um and getting online right like okay i'm gonna put modem in this thing and i'm gonna dial up and connect and but i was messing around with things like networking and so you know i i had another friend at a computer so we're like okay we're gonna get network cards and we're gonna run it was thin net coax right we're gonna hook up and we're gonna play some LAN games and i'm gonna learn how that works and uh oh we're gonna file share (laughs) over LAN, which you know you're learning all that stuff but yeah, that was about the era that I built that machine. And I wanted to treat it like a computer. I, I got like mm. a full-size tower, like one of those yeah. giant monster <laughs> yeah. chassis, right? I'm like, I'm going to take all the drives out of my old machine. Yeah. I'm going to put them into here and, you know, fill this guy up. And uh, That's awesome. Yeah, I wanted to get hands-on yeah. and nitty-gritty with it. Uh, so first how, one I ever built you? was with the assistance of the uh, manager and a bunch of the people who worked at Babbage's uh, when I started working there. So it was a little bit – I was into computers forever, and I was always – I would open up every computer we ever had and just kind of look at it, know that that's a motherboard, that's the processor, those are the, the card slots, um, and kind of identifying PCI versus um, – we had AGP back then, and then we had the ISA or the ISA slots – and uh, uh, like there was actually like daughter boards, so there'd be like another board off the motherboard that had other cards on it, and it's like oh, it's like a a, a card within a card. <laughs> yeah. Wave table synthesis on yeah, my so sound card. Crazy, just kind of seeing that stuff was great. But then the first one that I ever put together, um, so this was almost certainly a Pentium three, um, and it was uh, uh, I remember specifically I had a uh, two. 240 gigabyte Maxter hard drives because I wanted to try RAID. Um, and this was a company that has been, since been picked up by one of the bigger hard drive companies. And, yeah, and Maxter yeah. drives were no, horror. not great, not good. But, uh, and, and, and like, and they'll go through phases. Like Hitachi was like great for a while, and then for a while, every Hitachi drive failed. Like after like six months, yeah, or like Seagate, right? So, yeah, yeah, Seagate has been, but yeah, it's uh, but like you said, um, I I wanted I wanted the full experience. I don't want to be cramped in there, so I bought this full tower that everyone who came over was like, "What is that?" I was like, "That's my computer. <laughs> they make them that big. I made it." <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, uh, uh, but yeah, yep. and, and the 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 worst thing was broadband internet was like around at that by that time, but we didn't have it in my house, so everyone the joke was like man, you put all that, you know, like time and effort in that machine and you're connecting via dial up. And I was, uh, I was playing counter-strike on dial up. Nothing else I could do. So, uh, but I remember going from, you know, 14.4 to 28.8 was a big deal just in that baud rate speed because we, we, we skipped over this whole era, but 
when internet, uh, when everyone had America Online or CompuServe or Prodigy, but it was mostly America Online, uh, there was no plan where you paid one amount of money and got unlimited amounts of internet. It was like minutes of, of you know, on the, it was okay, you get this much minutes or you get this much data. And then America Online or AOL, as they are now referred to, a new company name uh, for a long time now, AOL Time Warner, um, came out with this idea. They were like, yo, we're going to give unlimited internet for X a month. No one talks about this because it's just a regular thing that's in the universe today. Like you pay one amount of money per month for your internet. But when I tell you that America Online went from like some of the users of the internet to every single user of the internet in the universe, like overnight, like I'm not hesitating. And now begins the era of just trying to get on the internet with dial up just became like beep, beep. You, you, tr you, call, you tried to call the internet and you got a busy signal. There was no <laughs> connections to the internet available. So that went on for a little while. AOL came out and we're like, listen, we totally underestimated the demand. We're working as hard as we can. But like houses bought second phone lines further because you couldn't be on the Internet and talk on the phone at the same time. So that was another roadblock is you'd yeah. be on. You, you finally got online to download the 22 second video clip of Green Day playing Basket Case. And then someone picks up the phone to like call and order a pizza. No, I'm now off the internet for a day because it took me that long to get on. So yeah, it was wild times when it was like early kind of days of tr just trying to get on the internet. Um, but yeah, that was uh, my my first was definitely that uh, uh, 1998, 97, 98 era, if that sounds about right, because. Uh, I remember I. W Pentium 3? Yeah, it would have been like 98, 99. Babbage's. Uh, I'd really have to go back to the think tank for this one because I remember I worked there. I bought the Dreamcast there, 9999. And I think I started working there shortly after, but I knew everybody in the store. Uh, and I think I started working there like shortly after the Dreamcast, either right before or right after Dreamcast launched. So it was, yeah, like 99 ish was when I built that first PC and that kind of started the whole thing. Like I used that machine for a while, got really into PC gaming. Like that's when it exploded. Like I had played some TIE fighter and some other kind of 3d stuff, but then it was like quake three unreal tournament going back and play the old quakes that I'd played like a little bit going back and played some of the old dooms that I played a little bit, but like, you know, now I had the performance I had, you know, my GeForce two, you know, whatever Hercules GTX, a GeForce two card. And ever since then, I've if I haven't been like super into PC gaming, I'll kind of go on these ebbs and flows where it's like, oh, now I'm playing the Wii and now I'm playing the OG Xbox. Now I'm back on PC and now I'm PlayStation and now I'm on Xbox again. So but ever since I built that machine, it's been uh, a, a staple in the uh, in the gaming in the gaming uh, aspect of uh of all the machines that we have in our house to work on. But uh, yeah, and I've built. I mean, I try to keep my machines for a good amount of time to, you know, you'll, you'll upgrade a component here and there, but if you do a good job, you can keep a set of hardware together for a good little while. So I've probably built maybe four machines, you know, completely different, like new board, new, you know, processor type thing, uh, since then. So 
really try to do my best to make that hardware last. So how about you, Kelsey? You ever build a computer? I did, actually. Um, when I was moving out for the first time, I just graduated. I had two roommates I was going to move in with, and I had a bunch of money. I was finally working, so I decided I needed to build my own computer. didn't quite know how to tackle that, but thankfully my roommates did, and one of them sat down, helped me pick out parts, put it together, and so we built that probably 2000. I want to say I think it was a Pentium 2 I actually still have it uh, I haven't oh. used it in a long time and I'm, I'm actually kind of eager to, to see if it still fires up and, and you know get that mm. nostalgia wave I'm sure if I can see my old desktop whatever's on <laughs> that'd there. be awesome uh, so yeah we moved out had a great time doing like some Diablo lands and stuff when we all lived together um, and then I used it a bunch after I moved to the city I'm currently in and then it's just been packed up for like 15 years kind of thing. Uh, when I had my store, I needed a, another computer because we wanted to do some VR stuff at the time with like the Vive and the Oculus. And it felt really overwhelming being out of it for like mm. 15 plus years to try and just build a computer, learn how to build a computer again. So I had a friend who did that professionally. And so I, I told him what I needed it to do. And I'm, and he built me the computer and he like custom did the case and everything it looks phenomenal. I am really salty though. Cause he thought I was joking the whole time when I was like, I can't wait to play King's quest. On this. <laughs> ah. And then, and, and it never occurred to me cause I've been out of computers for so long that there would be no disc drive. So I, I get it home and I go to put a disc in and I'm like, what the hell am I like, where does it go? And I'm looking all over the case and I couldn't like, call him. I'm like, like, where do I put my disks? He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I haven't put a disk drive in a computer in like five years at most, like maybe more. Uh, so I'm, I'm really upset that my computer doesn't have a disk drive. You can add one. It's I can not a big add deal. one. I need to add one. That's really easy. <laughs> Assuming it has a floppy disk controller on it. But um, wow. Okay. So um, kind of sticking with this retro computing topic, I mean, obviously I've been really into it for a little while now and doing some work. I've got some stuff that I that work gave me uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, they gave me a compact portable and a compact portable two, um, which are like compact portables, the first um, luggable they, computer. They look really cool. I like the style. Yeah. Um, and obviously the portable 2 is a 286 version of that and so i've been working through those getting them running and playing around and doing some work with those and then i've got a pentium 3 from about 2000 that i've had forever and i've been doing some work recently on that i've been replacing all the fans did redid like the thermal paste and um, you know swapping out some cards uh, i would really like to um I'm keeping my eye out. I don't have a big budget, so like usually I'm keeping my eye out at like thrift stores or weird little places for things or like people that have stuff. Um, and that's how I usually ha happen across something. Like the other day, I was at Goodwill and I bought some more um, floppy disk cases, yep. like you know, like those plastic things there. You put your floppy. <laughs> I found more, a few more of those. Nice. So like as I find those a little bit, I'm like, okay, I need a few more of those. <laughs> and um, uh, so I would really like to find now. 
Uh, do you guys remember this was a thing for all LS120 drives? Do you guys remember what enough those were? By that LS120. Superdrive was the other moniker that they were called, but they were um, they tried to compete with zip sure. drives. Zip remember zip disks were such a huge zip thing. Jazz, you guys remember that? We tried both of those uh, yep. for a little bit. <laughs> but LS120 was the um, I think it was Sony or somebody, but it's basically the same form factor as a three and a half inch disc, and it would still be backwards oh, compatible with those. So you could still read and use three and a half inch floppies, or you could put these LS120 discs in, which would hold 120 there megabytes. There was a thing the size of a three and a half uh, floppy that held 120 meg. Wow, yeah, I didn't remember this one. <laughs> yeah, so look, you can look at the LS120 drives. And so I'm keeping my eyeballs peeled if I can come across so one of those drive? at a deal. Okay, because the disc, it looks like yes. you can find them, but it's the drive is the issue. So I'm looking, for, it's, and it'll say LS120 on the hardware. Okay. LS-120, yes. But otherwise, it's not going to look very different from any 3.5-inch floppy. So the story of my drive. life when I'm looking for a, a Pioneer, uh, like the laser disc player with the Genesis built in it, like are you yeah like are you a laser, <laughs> laser actor, active or are you just luck. a regular laser displayer <laughs> yeah so you know if anybody happens to come come across an ls120 drive and, and what's and what's um, a good uh, but yeah uh, i've got valuable or not really you just want one i think on ebay they go from like okay. 70 80 bucks or something i don't want to pay that much money for one of those you know so i'd be like off yeah, like a, get like gotcha. 20 30 bucks or something you know or somebody's mistaken it for a three and a half inch disc right. drive and you know whatever <laughs> if i get lucky it's not a burning thing but that's why i look i'm like okay i already have like is it i'm basically using this pinium 3 as a a media mm-hmm. exchange machine so i've got a 360k five and a quarter inch floppy disc in it i've got a three and a half inch drive i got a zip disc drive in it and then i've got like a little you know, um, portable mm-hmm. zip drive that mm-hmm. has SCSI in parallel, which is really nice because SCSI, like old Macs and things, you can just plug SCSI in, no problem. So anyway, that's what I'm trying to build up is like a machine where what, no matter just about what kind of piece of disc media I need to churn out for some of these mm-hmm. machines, it's a piece of cake, right? I've already got a box that will do all of that. Uh, am I in a hurry? No. Will I wait around so I can find something? Sure. But that would be the next thing I would like to add. Because I've kind of got this machine about where I want it to do what I want it to do. Like, I've, I've switched over. I've talked about it. I'm going to spend forever. I switched over to Compact Flash. I've redone the... So it's just a good little machine. You know, obviously I can FTP files into it, throw, my create disks. I can do whatever I need to do on it. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. But what about you guys? Do you have any interest in the retro computing scene either pc or non-pc i do and like very much like lego uh one of the other hobbies that uh, i enjoy over the last few years it is 100 percent about space for me because this is uh, uh yeah. you know there are there are certain things like even if you grab like you know like a nintendo and a bunch of Nintendo games. That's something that you can put into a relatively small box, tape it shut, throw it in the closet, and take that out, and like it's it's good to go, and you're ready for it. 
I feel like when I think about, you know, like, oh, man, wouldn't it be great to, like, have, like, a Windows 98 SE, you know, like, uh, uh, set up or even, you know, crazier, like what, like Windows 95, you know, I would want to have that original monitor experience uh, with and now you start dealing with a an aging, you know, CRT technology that's going to be either difficult or expensive to work on or expensive to maintain and just I wouldn't want to be setting it up and taking it down. So it's become not feasible with for the amount of space I have right now, but it's always something that like when I see someone pick up like, oh, like I found this old, you know, like Windows 95 set for Windows 98 setup. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You know, like I wish I could uh, I'd love to come over and just kind of, you know, like tinker and kind of like see what some of the old, you know, the old stuff looks like. But yeah, it's. I don't think with the amount of space I have, it's something that I would, I would get, but super, super interesting. And I, I, you know, if, if circumstances change and we somehow end up with a spare room or, you know, kids will move out and go to college eventually, you know, so uh, then you get a couple of project rooms and uh, yeah, but it's, (laughs) it's, it's free space for me right now, which is the issue. Do you ever think about like, well, I could take a mini tower and then I could do a KVM and I could do a VGA to HDMI and I could just so have it right I've here with my about, PC? So I thought because like my main workstation, I've got my ultra wide monitor, I got my vertical monitor next to it, and I've got um, it's kind of like you know a good like 30, 40 feet away, something like that. But I've got a little kind of closet where like the internet comes in, and then I have like a patch panel where I've run some Cat Six uh, uh, throughout the house and even uh, outside uh, for some uh, some other fun stuff where I run like uh, uh, HDMI extenders where I'll like you know convert it to Cat Six and then back to HDMI to like run some video stuff, and I have my um, uh, FreeNAS uh, server in there, which besides doing like file sharing uh, uh, for the house, it also has a Plex server on it. It has uh, uh, transmission for uh, uh, BitTorrent. Um, media server, um, you know, Spotify, or sorry, not Spotify, um, uh, just uh, radar, sonar, like a whole bunch of just little kind of like um, media serving programs built into it. So I have thought like, you know, because one, one of my dreams, if I were ever to have the room and get all the consoles together, I kind of don't want the consoles in the same room as the TV. Like I kind of want the room to be the TV and maybe the sound and that's it. And then everything else is in like a room behind it, right? Where like everything's kind of like going through and just like set up all neatly. Um, so I have thought about, ooh, well, what if I got some of these cool machines and I could just put them in this little computer room, like little kind of closet that I already have? And then yeah, because you could like, remote exactly. desktop so or the something. The only thing I would lose doing it that way is like that kind of like CRT experience, but I could still have the experience of being on original hardware and doing the tinkering that I like if I wanted to pull it out and like, you know, futz around with like some cards or, you know, like figuring out some of the old, uh, uh, you know, the old memory or like, you know, looking at the old slots and stuff like that. So it's the, the opportunity hasn't come up, but I'm going to the flea market tomorrow. If I were to see, you know, an old machine and the price was right, you know, the worst case scenario is, let me get it and then let's see you know if i can figure out a use for it great if not uh you know it didn't cost very much and i can you know flip it for that but well yeah i would say yeah these days you know a lot of times you just pull cards and sell cards and make money so 
depending on the cards that are in it. Yeah. So, yeah. How, how about you, Kelsey? Yeah, I, I know you have some retro computing going on there. What's your interest level for this stuff? You, PC, actually, not PC. It's actually pretty high right now. Um, I've been talking about downsizing my game collection for a while. And so one of my goals is my wife actually has a really sweet, very like late 90s, early 2000s computer desk in our basement that she used to use for like an art table. And she hasn't used it in a really long time. It's just become like a put stuff on table. And so I asked her, I'm like, if I can like clear out enough game room that I can get rid of some shelving, can I put that in there? And she's like, yep, do it. So I want to get that in there. And then, like I said, I've got my old uh, Pentium that I, I built I've also, when I had the store, um, computer stuff was just hard to sell at the time. So often I just take it home instead because it's like, do I want to sell this for 10 bucks or do I just want to hold on to it and see if I can do something with it? So I've got Commodore 64 here. I've got an Apple II. I've got a couple Atari STs. And I've got. You got a couple Atari STs? Yeah. Well, then maybe you need to let one of those go. I could probably do that. Um, yeah, and I've got monitors for most of those. Uh, the only one I still need to find a monitor for would be my Pentium. Uh, I'd like to get one from that era. Because I, I don't honestly remember getting rid of mine, but it's not in my house anymore, so I don't know what happened. Yeah, to I had to... That's that's the one place where I cut CRT is with PCs. You know, I've got some for my vintage computers, but... Yeah. Um, but I've got a couple hundred games. Um, I'll probably pare that down a bunch too, but I have quite a few of them that I'm like, I never got to play this and I always hear really good things and just some really good memories attached to some of them. I haven't played them in 20, 30 years. So yeah, I, I want to set up an area of my game room just for, for some old computers and That's awesome. stuff. Is, is that a couple hundred, like we're talking just kind of like loose floppies and some, some manuals and stuff? Or are we talking like the whole the whole package? Big, big, uh, big boxes. Stop it. Bill's eyes stop it right up. now. There, there's maybe 50 of them mm -hmm. in jewel cases uh, and sleeves, but yeah, most of them are, that's awesome. are big and, and that's, you know, that that's... An, that, How about Infocom C64 games? Super Say that again? In, like, enticing is like, well, I'll, I'll go back to my parents' house now and then and like the handful of parts of my collection that have not been downsized over the years, big box PC which like right now are just nice to look at, but it's like, Ooh, wouldn't it be nice just to, you know, grab that guy and throw him on some hardware. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm a very tactile person. And while we'll talk about virtualization in a minute, the act of mm -hmm. putting a disc in and there's just something to that to me. I don't know. I, I don't know why that's, it's just part of the experience yeah, to me. I just recently brought my record player upstairs to my kitchen where it's getting a lot more use. Uh, and my daughter's been getting really into it too. And yeah, it's like the whole process of like going to the shelf, picking out a record, putting it on the turntable, turning it up, waiting a few seconds for the amp to, to <laughs> warm up and then putting the needle on. Like it's, it's just, it's really fun. Yeah. It's like, it creates a, like a little ritual. Yes. And it and it requires more thought than yeah. boop on my phone, right? <laughs> yeah. So and um, not being able to yeah, like that, skip songs too, like stuff like that. You actually have to experience the whole thing. That's like, the biggest thing for me is like once you put it on, like you're in. You know, like that's what you're listening to for a little while, and it's really cool. It makes you picky about the music you. Mm -hmm 
choose yeah. for that format. So we because you're like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. pick one with a one hit wonder because I don't want to listen to the rest of that. We were having a, a little barbecue day the other day, and I put on the Pac Man Fever album, and it was so much fun. Just my son's like just sitting there. He's like, is he telling me to do the Donkey Kong? Like, <laughs> what the heck are we listening to? Uh, that's wonderful cool so maybe we'll have more discussions about this as things progress so you know this is an interest area for me and i'm having to go back and relearn a lot of things especially with dos um you know things that i'd kind of forgotten um but it's good it's like it's good to brush up on some of that stuff so i guess we'll leave off in the last thing to talk about virtualization because obviously dos box and uh things of its ilk are things that are out there. Um, so I thought we'd discuss it because I don't know use or interest levels you might have. I can just start it real quickly with, I really don't have any interest in doing it this way because I said this is a very tactile mm. thing to me. But what do you guys, how do you it's guys feel about that? It's hit and miss for me. Uh, like there are certain games where, um, you know, especially since I don't have the hardware, if I were, I, I've mentioned this game before a handful of times, and um, uh, Bickman uh, has reached out to me and say, like, oh, I absolutely remember that game, is uh, Terminal Velocity, which is just this nothing game that you would mention, and, like, most people would have no idea what it is. But, like, the handful of people who have played it, like, we all know that that song, that's like, everyone knows, you know, like, that the, the music very well. It's just, like, you know, the kind of, like, a 3D space shooter. It's one of those things that, like, there is... With so many games, it's like, oh, you don't have a computer? Ah, you can play it on Nintendo, you know, like, or you can, you can play it any number of other ways. This is just one of those weird things where it's like some of these old computer games, it's like there's not an easy, like, avenue to do it. But if you have that disc, it is really, really, really easy just to copy those files to your computer, open up DOSBox, mount, like, the, your fol- folders as a virtual drive, and for me, what I really, really loved about just handling DOS was just being in that DOS prompt. So I still get that portion of it where I'm like, okay, change directory, <laughs> set up EXE. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get to, so I still get that piece of it. If it was, if it was, if you like put the disk in and you pointed DOS box at the disk drive and it was like, okay, we got this. I'd be like, no. Like you're, you're taking away a piece of it that I want. So the fact that it has that piece of it. So there is the oddball like terminal velocity or, you know, if I found like some rando game that like I really was into when I was younger, I would go through the trouble of like DOS boxing and like kind of running it. Um, but it's certainly not like a regular part of my gaming, you know, ritual or like a mainstay of kind of how I, I typically play games. It really is just for that, like that nostalgia hit. Um, and one of the things I hadn't mentioned, but that I've thought about a lot is some retro shows, if they're big enough or if they have the space, have like a little retro, uh, computer station, um, like PAX East that I go to every year, they'll have a bunch of Nintendos and supers and even modern stuff, you know, like PS4s and fives and Xboxes. And you can kind of like check games out, play whatever you want. It's pretty rare that they'll have like a classic PC setup. Just logistically, it's very difficult um, if you want to have like legit games there, there's like some support aspects, uh, you know, that people would probably need some help install and stuff. But there have been a few that have had them set up. Um, and that is something that I'm super interested in whenever I see like, oh, we have like a, you know, like a uh, uh, like a DOS based, you know, like a, a, a gaming setup just to kind of like scratch that retro itch. But 
retro PC gaming itch rather, but I, I find the few times that I've kind of seen that and I get out there and then I, I start kind of digging into it. It's like, it's limited for logistical reasons so that people can just get in and play a thing and get out. But every time I see or like experience one, it just makes me want to do more of that, you know, like in my own, you know, home controlled environment. So uh, it's something that uh, I do hope that I can kind of advance, uh, you know, my activities in. But uh, yeah, there's there's just like a handful of those little roadblocks that you just got to figure out how to get around, whether you're like, OK, doing the DOS box, go for it. But that that tactile piece of it where I, I honestly don't think I would download like a classic, you know, like DOS or Windows 95 or like kind of like that era game. Like I really do want to have the disc. And then, you know, even though I'm virtualizing it in DOSBox, like that's a big part of the fun for me is just getting the game up and running like that. So, yeah. How about you, Kelsey? We'll see how much trouble I run into when I try and do this <laughs> setup. I like I, I want to run it all like I would have back in the day. But, you know, if I run into some issues, I could see myself taking some shortcuts. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm open to the idea. Uh, depending on how much success I have. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I think it's weird. I think the nature of how modern computers are is what really, it might sound dumb, just turns me off from even thinking about it as a games machine. Because to me anymore, it's like, well, a console can do the same thing that can do. Except I can do it from my couch. Right? Like, yeah, I could buy a game on Steam or whatever, but I could just play it on my Xbox. Why do I need to bother? Right? Like, PC games and using a PC used to be, like, a whole different experience. And now, yeah, there's no friction there. There's no... It's just like anything else. I, so it's like, why would I bother having that experience? I can just do it from my couch. There's no upside to me doing that anymore. That probably sounds weird to some people, but... I think it's where I'm at with it. And why tinkering around with old stuff is cool, because sometimes it's a challenge, and sometimes you have to think. And it's not just, yeah. I push, button, go. Um, which, 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 not, which, which not until you get really dialed tools in. tools inside your radio. <laughs> which is interesting, because like a, a right? big argument that I hear from the people in the, I'm not interested in PC gaming, like I just want a console so I'll talk to those people and I'm like, so that, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But you know, does it ever, do you ever think like, you know, I could be getting, you know, like better performance or this or that. And then like uh, one of the big arguments I get from those people is, you know, like I just don't want to deal with the issues with like, you know, do I have good drivers? Do I need windows updates? Do I need this or that? They're like, but then the next part is, is what gets me is they're like, sometimes I just want to, buy the game, put it in, hit the power button, and it works. You just want that simplicity. But then at the same time, it's like with, with some of the retro computing, it's like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know, you got to kind of work around some of those issues, but that's oh, part of the fun. Yeah. I think that's it. Like in my mind, just from how I, my experience was, there is a there's a divider line. And games fall on this side of the line, which is like Nintendo. I put the game in, it plays, right? That's the experience that I expect when I do that. Computers are a tool 
that you can do a lot of things with and also some goofing off if you want to, right? But it requires this types of skills and work that's over here. And I don't really cross the streams, you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, it doesn't necessarily have to make any sense. That's just how I am. And other people will hear that and go, that's dumb. And that's okay. You guys can do it your way. I'm not going to tell you how to, you know, enjoy games. And, and if you like, uh, high five. If you don't ever want to deal with a retro PC, I can understand that, right? It can be troublesome. It can be tricky and... Sometimes just having the thing around, like yeah. you say, space-wise, you know, yeah, there's a whole set of problems that come with it. But uh, at least for me, it's been an, an interest yeah. that I've had. seeing so. some footage of a game is enough to, like, get me to go down that path. Like, even, like back in, like, the, the days where I had, like, the main cabinet and you would just kind of, like, browse through some of the games that were available and then you had preview videos for each one. It's one thing to see on a list... Oh, you know, like Alien versus Predator or 1942 or X-Men or whatever and think, oh, that's a really cool game. And then it was totally different to kind of flip through and see that preview video where you're watching the game being played and you're like, oh, that looks awesome. Let's play it right now. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of where I get with PC games where thinking about, oh, Terminal Velocity was cool or thinking about like, oh, you know, Lord of the Rings Battle for Middle Earth was cool. And then like I'll like see the game in action I'm like, oh, I need to stop what I'm doing and play this real quick, you know. Man, I I had a moment recently where I saw some gameplay video of Heroes of Might and Magic 2. And I just had this, like, wave (laughs) of nostalgia. I haven't thought about that game in over 25 years. And, like, the kid across the street had it. And we played it there, like, a bunch one summer. And then I never thought about that game again. But I remember loving it. And man, like I, I need to play that game again now. That's funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's these just experiences that I expect. It's kind of like um, I kind of been watching forever for Goodwills and things. And the other day, I finally struck gold. I found a combo VHS right. DVD cool. burner that's got HDMI out for everything, and I'm like, <laughs> this is the perfect device. Because until then, like, have I had a VCR? Yeah. Would I ever bother to drag it out and use it? Not really. It's kind of a pain. It's like composite and all that stuff. It doesn't really work with modern TVs well. And just, it's going to be a pain in the butt. It's not going to be entertainment experience I expect out of it. But with this one, no, I can just totally have that same experience on my good TV. Throw it in. When I want it. And that's that's what i'm looking for right like i want this level of experience so very very thing. quick tangent that you just reminded me of with that i'm i'm on facebook yeah. and i'm in a couple like local retro gaming groups and someone posts the og xbox component cable like output adapter thing which if you remember was like a like a dongle like you plugged in the xbox and it was like a little box that had like the five component rca outs on it and the optical out so then it was like another set of cables that would like go off that like to your stuff and the guy had it listed at 80 dollars, and he said yeah this is priced to sell and i was like price to sell at 80 bucks so i looked up and like yeah they're selling on ebay for 80 bucks and i was like i've got one of these downstairs <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not and i'm not plugging <laughs> in the component anymore <laughs> so yeah it, it is nuts like the uh, the lengths that uh that uh people will go to just to 
connect their things the way they want it connected. Like you said, like the HDMI out on, like I've got, you know, not a ton, but I've got, you know, if I'm out and about and I see like a movie that I love from the eighties or nineties on VHS for a buck, I'll grab it. The worst, worst thing I'm going to do. It looks cool on a shelf. Right. But man, if I had a VHS player that I could connect with HDMI, (laughs) now that becomes an experience as well. Right. I didn't know that was even a thing anyone made mm. until I saw Chris is there. So now <laughs> I'm going to start looking for one. So, yeah, I, I, I knew that, um, you know, VCR combo. Because here's always the thing that was a, a brief flash in the pan period of time. But was people want to convert their VHS tapes to DVD. That was right? a big, yeah, for a brief period, it was like an enormous thing yeah and so that's what this one is right because it's got a dvd burner on one side and vhs on the other and then it was in also that magical little range very short range at the tail end of that where hdmi was also a thing yeah because like early dvd players think that was not right it was all those component cables and stuff my, my my next door neighbor, like when they finally got a flat screen TV, they were like, I'm really sorry. Like, would you mind coming helping us out? Like, no, not at all. So I went over there and we ended up because the new TV doesn't have like the, the component or anything. We ended up like grabbing an adapter, you know, that has like the component in and like converts to <laughs> HDMI with a little powered adapter. And it's like, it's not the best thing in the world. It works. It does. It's not great having extra wires back there, but yeah, like that's kind of what you have to do if that's the hardware you have and you want to keep it. So if anybody listening is interested in that, I posted the model on Twitter Mm. that I picked up and then I went on eBay and found a remote for it. The remote was like $10. I think I paid like $6 at Goodwill for the, you'll obviously pay a lot more if you go look for this thing on eBay. Uh, It's not cheap, but, um, Start looking at your local flea markets. If this interests you, start looking. I've been looking for years, and I knew eventually at Goodwill one of these things would turn up, mm. and it finally did. So just keep checking those combo units and all those things that sit. They pile up. I get so worried every time I go to Goodwill because I kind of go in the back. Like I just pull in the back of the building, and there's just garbage like they'll get certain things in and they're like we can't sell this and you just see like dumpsters like full of like gold and it's like guys come on like (laughs) what are you doing just like get get a club get a club going like someone will come pick it up like we'll take care of it like don't worry but yeah it's it drives me crazy to see them just junking stuff that somebody would want yeah all right well um unless you guys have anything else to add i think that probably wraps up our little chat about retro computing i'm sure this probably won't be our last the only uh, thing that i was uh i wanted to kind of mention is um uh usb it has become this you know ubiquitous thing where like you just plug in a thing and it works so there was a dark dark time before usb where the serial bus was not universal (laughs) it was just a serial bus and when you wanted to use your Gravis gamepad, you didn't just plug it in and then it worked. Like you plugged it in and then it was like a problem you had to solve. So um, it's not an enormous issue with PC games because so many of them were designed to work with mouse and keyboard. It was really more of like a thing that like, you know, when they made things that, you know, could be played with controller to play on PC. But I was just curious from your perspective as a guy who's into peripherals, 
what is your stance on you know collecting you know, those old serial kind of PC peripherals and how does that tie into your uh, PC plans? So again, I don't game a lot mm. on them, and so most of them are going to be mouse keyboard. Um, but remember, you know, before that, game port was a thing on sound cards, right? Mm. So all the controllers use that, you know, controller format that you can plug into. So that's not a big deal. And you'll be surprised, you can get USB cards that go back pretty doggone far. Oh, okay. So um, as long as you got an OS that'll support it, it's so like Windows 98, you know, has USB support, second mm. edition. And so if you're looking to do a machine like that, you can still pick up, you know, there were tons of ISA or, or PCI USB cards. I mean, you can get, I've got a USB 2.0 PCI card in my Windows 98 Pentium 3 machine. Mm. So, you know, not that big of a deal. And like I talked about before, I've even got a an 8-bit ISA card in my 286. You know, mm. all, it, all it'll let you do is flash drives up to a certain capacity, but... You don't have to count it out. You know, it's uh, USB is not not necessarily a no go in these things. So cool. Yeah, no, I mean that that the only control like besides the Gravis gamepad, which is very very similar to you know like a you know like a Super Nintendo kind of layout, but like one of the sides had a circle that went up, the other circle went down. It actually had like a little threaded thing in the center of the D pad, so that you could put in this awful joystick that would snap off if you bent it like more than like you know four degrees like off center um but uh, that's that's what we got to play mortal Kombat when we uh, bought it for the pc and ended up playing some other racing games and maybe commander keen and some other stuff with it like that too but uh with the flight games and the flight combat games being uh, such a big uh big part of our our history we would always you know uh uh, Microsoft made a lot of really good sticks over the years. Um, more recently, I've tried some Logitech sticks. They work great. Um, but it's I've never tried using uh, the modern USB sticks on the old, you know, kind of the the DOS-based uh, or the older system. So I'm just curious if that would, uh, would be a yeah. solution. You'd probably have to at least for those kind of things be at a Windows 98 level because most of those just show up as like, human input devices hid yep and then you configure them from there but you know if nothing else you know, for dos just go back to the old gamepad mm. stuff i mean like i know even if you want something that's modern ish microsoft made those sidewinder pads that are very similar <laughs> yeah. like the original xbox pads yeah so you know if you want something like that they're out there um but yeah there's there's you know to a degree you can play yeah. around with some of that stuff but. yeah it's good stuff so yeah, um, I will be curious from our listeners, what do you guys think about this? I mean, you know, we, we're talking retro. You can go all the way back to the, you know, heydays of the Commodore, the the TI, the you know, and everybody had their own computer, uh, which was fun times because they were, it was a lot of innovation and change. And then once the PC kind of conquered this space, it all became rather vanilla except for Apple. But um, anyway, yeah, be curious to hear what people think about that, where you guys are at. Uh, if you're looking to unload some old computer cards or gear, uh, you're listening to the right person. So, you know, uh, hit us up. And other than that, you know, again, just wrapping up. Always, again, want to thank our patrons very much for taking the time to support us. It really does mean a whole lot to us. Uh, so thank you. 
Um, again, if you want to help join in, uh, patreon.com slash collectorcast. We'll, you'll get to into your, our Discord. You can do your bat chat or goof off and, and talk about whatever you want with us. We're, we're a good crew, and it's a nice, close-knit group. Uh, no weirdos or trolls allowed. <laughs> and uh, and uh, let's uh, give you guys a chance to, to plug your stuff, anything you got going on. So, Bill, where can people get you? And you got anything to talk about lately? Uh, you know, Twitter. Uh, Bill underscore McGee is... Uh is the Twitter handle. Uh, not anything really. Um, like I said, I've, I've been saying for a while, I've been working on some, uh, uh, like the guitar pedal board. Want to try to, you know, put some, uh, put some musical uh, stuff out there. Um, our buddy, uh, Sean Grego steady one, uh, has asked me to play some, if I'm going to play some guitar stuff, put it on TikTok. Uh, that's where he's put some guitar stuff on there. So, uh, I'm going to have to, get out of my comfort zone a little bit and uh, see if I can put something together that I think is worth sharing. But uh, I have been working on my, my pedal board here with all my, you know, distortions and fuzz and flange and phase and all the, the, the cool effects that you can do and, uh, you know, make everything yourself sound... you need for a sixties prog rock band. <laughs> Man, if I'm lucky, it's uh, you can really, really make some, some fun, crazy sounds with these uh, things. But uh but yeah, so uh, if, if you have any interest in kind of hearing some uh, guitar nonsense, you can uh, hit me up on there and I can share some uh, some avenues where I'm sharing that stuff. But other than that, if you, anyone out there wants to play a little Destiny, I'm always happy to show someone the ropes there if anyone's curious because once I get into Elden Ring, I don't know. That's probably going to be it for, uh, turn it back. for the summer. It's the end of gaming. Yeah. Kelsey, how about you? What's going on? Where can people find you? And you got any projects coming up? Uh, you can find me at on Twitter at Kelsey Polnick. Uh, the only cool thing I have coming out is we just had our Kickstarter finish for an NES-themed magazine called NES Pro, uh, and it was successfully funded. Um, I'm doing three articles in it. I'm pretty hopeful that it gets a good reception, um, and we get to do a lot more issues because it's it's all NES related and it's like a ton of cool topics and cool people all related to that uh, area of gaming um, so I, I hope it can go on as long as uh, people like it so you'll have to let me know once there's another avenue I think as you know I've sworn off Kickstarter after getting burned a few times so if there's another way to actually buy copies when it's out just hit me up and let me know I will look into that actually that's a really good question very good. And uh, people want to follow you over on Twitter, how they do that? At Kelsey Polnick. Very good. K-L-S-Y-P-O-L-N-I-K. There you go. And uh, as usual, you can always, I run the show account, so at CollectorCast. Outside of that, I just have private work stuff, so nothing to plug. But thank you all very much for taking the time to listen, and we'll catch you next time.